And we are live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast Act Ground Zero, your home of the apocalypse for episode 51, our top five apocalyptic movie or post-apocalyptic movies, as the case may be. Tonight, we have an ensemble of myself, the apocalypse nerd, Adam Bomb Glancy, William T. Thrasher, and Chris Constantine to join us today. And we are going to talk about our top five favorite post-apocalyptic films. Now... Uh, why top five? Well, because we wanted the show to be within a reasonable amount of time, because if we would have done a, uh, a top ten, it would have been a lot more, and trust me, we all had lists that were probably exceeding 20 of our favorite films, uh, so it was kind of hard to narrow down a top five list. Uh, kind of the criteria that I kind of went with was there was, again, there's a lot of post-apocalypse films that I love, that everybody loves, people who are watching this show love. Um, I kind of went with the uh, the idea of, okay, what's a film that I could watch over and over again? No problem. Like, if it's on, I will watch it. I'll watch it annually. Because there's a lot of things that I like, but I won't necessarily watch it over and over again. So that's kind of the criteria I tried to go with, at least myself, for uh, determining what a top five uh, post-apocalyptic film is for me. So, so rather than go all through the lists one at a time and, We'll just go, everyone gives one, and then we'll just yeah. swing back and do the other one. Yep, cool. just, just like we did when we did our top five uh, post-apocalyptic books. We're going to do the same kind, of, same kind of format. Got so. any news for us, Mr. Wallace? Eh, not a whole lot, a couple things, but actually one funny thing I wanted to share first. Uh, I was talking to Chris uh, offline to determine, I wanted to see if he wanted to join the show, and Chris had some questions for me about, well, what kind of films? He's like, well, can I use an animated films? I was like, absolutely. And anything that's post-apocalyptic that's your favorite film... I said, yes, it could be, you know, live action, animated, or puppets. So he goes, uh, well, if you could find a post-apocalyptic film done with puppets, let's talk about it. So, uh, Will, do you know a post-apocalyptic film done with puppets? I have a feeling you do. Oh, gosh, I am I am now uh, zipping through my brain. Uh <laughs> Trying, trying to, uh, to pick one up. Now, did it, are we talking all puppet cast, or just puppets are a significant portion of it? No, if, if, if I was going with puppets being a significant portion, I would have gone with nine, because there were puppets in the film. But I want a film done with freaking puppets, like Dark Crystal, or something like that, you know? Or a particularly dark version of Thunderbirds 2086. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apparently International Rescue dropped the ball if there's a post-apocalyptic <laughs> Thunderbirds movie. Like, really? Were you guys on a smoke break? All right, jeez. So if any, so if anybody watching the show um, knows of a post-apocalyptic film done with puppets, done with puppets, whether it's puppets or marionette, whatever the case may be, big this puppet, is, all right, this is let a, us know. This is a job for Kevin McTurk. Who uh, who's been taking a couple of films around to the uh, horror film festivals? The Millet Calder's Glen keeps getting awards, and it's completely a puppet-made horror movie, about seven or eight minutes long. Is there a limit to how? Or actually, no, it's like a twenty-minute movie. And I can't remember the earlier one that he did, but it's all like Lovecraftian horror stuff done with puppets and actually big-name actors like Christopher Lloyd and uh, uh, what's his name, who was. It's either Frodo or Harry Potter. It's one of those diminutive Englishmen. I can't remember which one. But doing the 
But Kevin McTurk, McTurk, if you're listening to this, Kevin McTurk, clearly your next option is a post-apocalyptic puppet uh, movie. I think that's what the that's what the world is demanding. He was the, mm -hmm. he'd be the guy. You've seen any of his films, uh, and some of them I think are available. Bits of them are available on YouTube. He's scary, weird, good. So at least we know who needs to be doing it if it doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So I thought that was amusing when I said I was like puppets, and he's so. I'm like, you know what? I thought about that. I was like, hey, we have plenty of animated films, uh, but no, uh, no puppets. Ah, I have found it. What? Oh my! What? It does. It doesn't exist yet, but uh, <laughs> it's the next project from Maxwell Adams, the creator of the Grim Adventures of uh, Billy and Mandy. Uh, his next project uh, is a show called Dead Meat. It is a post-apocalyptic puppet show. Oh my! Thank. Wait, wait, Send wait. us a link. Put it in the freaking chat. I guess I'm gonna have to. Wait. Let's get the. Let's get uh, proper. Um, uh, proper. Uh, let's see. Let me find it. Let me find it. Oh no! <laughs> Even though I can't hear, I can't hear it. But uh, apparently, it. so it's up to the audience. Sure. There was much rejoicing. So okay. thank you, thank you, Will. See, I knew. I knew Will Thrasher would, would would be the one to know about a, a post-apocalyptic puppet film. Hey, and some of their puppets have have uh, freaky puppet boobs, so there we go. Well, who doesn't like freaky puppet boobs? Exactly. <laughs> wow. I'm actually I'm gonna I'm going to post uh, to the show event page the link where it has uh, the pictures of the puppets. This is going to be great. Excellent. Wow. That's that's. I, I was hoping there was some, uh, uh, some I could shoehorn meet the feebles into that, but I guess it's not really post-apocalyptic. Although there's that great bit where they um, they have a Vietnam flashback in the middle of Meet the Feebles. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, I was trying to think of something. I'm like, okay, anything? Okay, let me think. Any weird, obscure Tim Burton films that he does? His little, I mean, even it's like a little animated like that, like puppets, dolls, things like that. Anything? I was like, anything like that. I was trying to think of. You'll, you'll, you'll take stop motion as puppets. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's a, you know we're limited on what we're gonna find on that, so we'll take anything you know. Yeah, yeah we can be a little broad then. And number nine was all CGI, right? That wasn't. Yeah, it was all right? CGI, yeah. so that's still animated. So I'm not. I'm not. The, that's why I was like, well, okay, the characters are dolls in the in the thing, but it's still all CGI. So I was like, yeah, not not enough. I need we need something. We need practical. We need something physical. You know, yes. whether it's you know something that when the movie's over, the props can go to somebody's garage and gather dust, like yeah. the, like the Cyclops from the Golden Voyage of Sinbad or the Yimmer or any of those Harryhausen things. Yeah, so or sometimes like, show up in other people's movies. Yeah, exactly. You know, so if it, you know, like I said, even so, you know, I was like, uh, has anybody done like a post-apocalyptic Punch and Judy? Any anything? You know, I'm like looking for. You know, but. Um, all right, uh, not not a, not a ton of news because uh, I haven't. I just been uh, just haven't been able to focus. But uh, a couple things that I, I did run across is there is a Kickstarter out there for Metamorphous Alpha Miniatures. There's a company. Uh, I forget the name of the company that's doing it, but it's all through you know approval from James Ward because you know he owns the IP again. You know he was very fortunate to get that back. So with all his blessing, uh, they're doing. Uh, Post-apocalypse, you know, metamorphosis alpha miniatures, uh, and that's currently going on um, on Kickstarter. 
So that is coming uh, soon, so it's pretty good. Uh, just a couple of our minor things. Uh, Scott, you had shared it with me, and I also I ran across it myself, was the uh, the Atlanta the Atlanta real estate, uh, the, the the bunker in Atlanta, Georgia that they were selling. Yeah, outside of Atlanta. Yeah, outside of Atlanta. I'm pulling up the link now. It's uh, done, you know for seventeen million dollars. You know, it's uh. The thing no. is, it look it, the the bunker to me looks very Fuhrer bunkery. You know what I mean? It 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 doesn't have the the insane charm of that Vegas bunker that's got the fake outdoors. Oh, it's it's got a totally it's got a totally modern contemporary kitchen in it. You know. Well, yeah. Well, the Vegas one looks you know like you're you're constant. They don't make any attempt to make you think you're not in a bunker. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't have that crazy painted ceiling outdoors fake grass thing that I, I thought was so awesome about the Vegas one. Um, it looks pretty practical. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's nicer than my apartment. You know, it's got, like, these modern sinks, and it's all wood floors. You know, it's, like, uh, got room for 12. It's, like, uh, does it give the square footage. I'm looking at the site right now. It's on 20 acres. It's a uh, four-port garage. It was just, uh, it's, not, it's not giving me square footage. Does, but, it, does, yeah. it, does it have a landing strip? Oh, 16,000 16, square feet. Okay. You know, it's got uh, a bunk. The bunk can withstand a 20-kiloton nuclear bat blast. has three feet thick walls. <laughs> Is that a direct hit? It says withstand a nuclear blast. It has three-foot thick walls. 4,000 to 6,000 PSA hardened concrete, decontamination shower, secure air intake, five bedrooms. So, uh, oh, my God. Yeah, it's crazy. So that uh, – we ran across that. It's uh, – if, you, if you're if you're a billionaire and you got um, money to burn, buy for us so we can start doing the show from there. Uh, we'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd, uh, we'd appreciate it. And uh, there's a movie coming out I saw called – I've seen it starting to get thrown around a lot is uh, – Wastelander. It's it's like a kind of a throwback to eighties uh, desert post apocalyptic films, like very cheesy, over the top, like you know, you know all those string of movies that they did to imitate, uh, uh, you know, the Road Warrior. Well, they're doing it on purpose to make it look like that. So it could be uh, could be interesting. It's got a really crappy looking car. They tried to make it look like the Interceptor, and it's 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 total total cheeseball eighty. But you know, it's probably. Probably worth a look. You know, is it deliberate? Is it deliberately campy? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, obviously. Well, if if they're not doing it deliberately campy, then I don't know what to say. But uh, yeah, so was just, that was a couple, of, just a couple of um, things that I ran across. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing too crazy because uh, there's so much stuff I've been bookmarking and I got a post. I, I think I, I think I brought up something that's incredibly, it feels incredibly dumb, but Last Man on Earth. There's a t- the TV series. I don't think we've ever mentioned it before. Oh, oh no, yeah. we, we we talked about it. Me me and Varhola talked about it, and both said, "Yeah, it stinks." You know, okay. so, uh, at least by our opinion. Like I know it, I know it's 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 a it's a comedy. I didn't go in. I did not go in thinking that it was serious. Okay, so you've seen a few episodes because I've I haven't watched yet. Yeah, I got about four episodes in, and I was just like, oh, I, I just I just I couldn't do it anymore. That's fine. That's fine. Does um does the uh. Does the new thing on Netflix, Into the Wastelands, count as post-apocalyptic? Into the Badlands? Into the Badlands. Do we know anything about Into the Badlands yet? Uh, is, it, is it alt history? Is it just, or does it pretend to have any connection to our world? 
Uh, basically, I watched the first episode to see what was going. It's like the wars raged on for a long time that nobody remembers, and now here we got these barons and these farmlands, and we're all contained in this nice little area. And it's legend that things exist outside. And I'm like, it's just it's just an excuse for kung fu action. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I don't mind kung fu action, but it's a little bit it's like okay, enough. So it's, they they started with kung fu and worked their way out to apocalypse. They didn't start with apocalypse and worked their way down to kung fu. Oh, it's got lots of kung fu. It you know what fire? There's not a single firearm apparently in in the Badlands. You know they've abolished them. They all got swords, and everybody's a freaking Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, you know ninja expert. Yeah, but they have motorcycles, but no firearms. Uh, and cars, and they're all kind of circa like 1930s, 19 like 1930s. <clears throat> okay, well, it's, those are the those are the simple ones, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't care for it. It, but it's like uh, I've I've watched like 10 minutes of the last two episodes only because they were giving us teasers for the next uh, Walking Dead. So I had to watch to the first commercial break. So right. uh, again, I don't like it, but you know that's just me. Um, but it's. Not really. Wow, you, you you hung on for revolution longer than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I did. I, I actually lasted probably good. What at least a half a dozen episodes for revolution. Yeah. Before now I. How finally... far to Wayward Pines did you get? Uh oh, God, I gotta I gotta circle back and finish that. Uh, I need I need to watch it on my lunch break on my phone because my wife doesn't like it. So I, I you know, I'm limited to our sharing TV time. So I gotta. Well, but I, got to... her, I got her watching Ash vs. Evil Dead, though. Ah! That's kind of an apocalypse. It's, it's an ongoing apocalypse. There's a word for that. Uh, that word is uh, groovy. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 very, it's very campy, very over-the-top, very Evil Dead. It's perfect. You know, they, they, they're, doing a good, they're doing a good job. I'm enjoying it. But unfortunately, I don't have stars. So they made the first episode free to anybody who had cable, so you could basically watch it. Then it's like, oh yeah, that was just a free preview. But I had a free preview for Stars this weekend, so we caught up on four episodes. Now it's like, or five episodes, all the first five. Now it's like, fuck. Now we got, I got to wait to see the last five until whenever I can watch it down the road. Yeah. Because so, I'm not paying another ten, fifteen dollars a month for one channel. So. Well, uh, that reminds me: is uh, is there a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic aspect? To the Expanse. Is there a reason why we're off planet Earth? I haven't watched the first episode of the Expanse yet. I know it's available for free. Mm, but I haven't. I have not seen it. Usually, if we're up there on the other planets, it's because Earth sucks balls. You know, it's usually that we've nuked it or cooked it or used up the resources. Does that count as post-apocalyptic if you've if you've wrecked the Earth, but you still get the human civilization moves into the stars? Well. Um, I'd say we'll look at look at we'll look at things like oblivion. You know, we still got people left on Earth because the because the aliens are mining our resources. You know, mm-hmm. do the survivors envy the dead? I think that's the, the important factor. <laughs> <laughs> are there people on the colonies who are like, you know, I rather would have died of radiation poisoning on Earth? Yeah, rather than use that zero G toilet one more time. <laughs> that's the one that always gets me. Um, all right, so let's move into our top fives again. Like I said, I, I like I said, I had I set my you know, I said I had my criteria. Um, we I think we all had similar criteria, and we all had a tough time trying to narrow down the top a top five. Um, so we're gonna start like I said, we're gonna 
you know, round robin it. We'll start with number five again. Uh, even with me, is it necessary? You know, is my five five a solid five? Is one a solid one? No, it's always fluid. You know, but it's like you know, but if we have to do a top five. We'll have to kind of put them in places. So I'm going to start with what I see on my screen, and to my on my left of the on my screen, I see William T. Thrasher. So I'm going to start with William. What's your uh, let's go? With, what's your number five? All right, my number five uh, post-apocalyptic film is Solar Babies. Yeah, wow. Scott says wow. <laughs> uh, that is totally understandable. That I that is completely understandable. Yes, yes, it is understandable why I would be shocked by that. Now oh, let's get to, get to the part where how we understand why you picked a film that I think we picked as as one of the worst post-apocalyptic films ever made. Oh no! Well, okay, it's not good. Uh, it is it is very unevenly paced, and it has a weird several weird tones for a post-apocalyptic movie, but. Uh, uh, the the whole the, I think the reason it's it's my top five film and it's a film that I still rewatch every couple of years uh, simply is that it, that it, it stuck with me for some reason uh, back you know when I was really young and we didn't have and uh, or and we and we didn't have cable for some reason this was always showing up on our local Fox affiliate as like the afternoon movie on the weekends so I saw it many many times it imprinted itself on me uh, and then it kind of faded from my consciousness. And then it started showing back up on cable again when uh, you know later on when we got cable when I got closer to adulthood, uh, and it it's and it went from being this dumb thing I watched when I was a kid to this dumb nostalgic thing <laughs> that I watch when I'm an adult. We, we well, can... So you're saying it was because of psychological trauma is why it became your number five. A, a subtle sign. Psychological trauma, but it's still it's still fun, and there's just all these silly touches that just delight me, such as the fact that it's like that the main characters play this like version of ice hockey that's played with lacrosse <laughs> sticks that <laughs> involves rollerblades. It's like yeah, a lot of kids. I was, like, was going to say rollerblades. That, that right there is like that kind of like I saw like they're on. They're in the apocalypse, but there's enough smooth concrete left in the world <laughs> so they can fucking rollerblade. Done. Yeah, the Done. roads are. Yeah, the roads and the wasteland in this movie are very, very clear. I think the only road damage we see is one bridge that's out. But it really is. I mean, it's hilarious. It's it's like you know, there's a okay. What are the kids do they like? They like their rollerblades. They like their lacrosses. They like their hockeys, and they like the Mad Maxes. No kid is ever like lacrosse. No kid. <laughs> if I may quote George Carlin, lacrosse is not a sport. Lacrosse is a faggot college activity. All right? That was... You tell Archer that. Yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> yes, I will. Well, that's no, more of a... Well, it's, no, more of a it's, it's more of a northern sport, because I remember, like, my cousin playing that when I still loved, lived up north in New York uh, in, like, the late 70s, and it's actually... It's actually kind of prevalent down here in South Florida. Like all of a sudden, there's lacrosse. There's like local lacrosse teams everywhere. Great, the lacrosse apocalypse. It's spreading like zombies across America. <laughs> well, as, long as, we're, as long as we're not on rollerblades, that's. <laughs> um, Bill, Bill, we can get this out of your head, but it's going to take a bullet. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> but hey, in the famous world of Carl, uh, what's Carl's last name from uh, Aqua Teen? Carl. Um, Fungus. Carl's like Carl. Carl's, Carl's famous lines is like, "Well, now it's stuck in my head, and the only way to get it out is with a bullet." 
Well, if, if I could just say one last thing, though. If you can get to the end of the movie, uh, and now with DVDs, it's very, very easy, uh, though you'd have to pay for the DVD, uh, is that if you get to the end, you get to see a cool, terrifying robot, which sadly doesn't kill nearly enough people. Uh, and you also get to see future fascist people who wear, like, Nazi uniforms made out of corrugated plastic. It is hilarious and awesome. It, it is hilarious. Give, this, oh, well, this is on my list because it's a bad movie that brings me much delight. All right, I, I got I got plenty of guilt. Uh, trust me, I had plenty of guilty pleasure uh, choices on my list too. You know, uh, so uh, I, I I get it. Um, suddenly, I don't feel so bad about Tank Girl. Uh, that has some good points. Uh, you know, like when he sticks him with the thing and the water fills. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> All right, Scott. Let's get let's get your number five. Thank you, Will. All right, all right. Uh, now that I have uh, thrown uh, bricks inside my glass house, I will <laughs> I will go with my number five, and that is uh, the version of Bo of a boy and his dog, starring none other than Don Johnson uh, from the I guess the early nineteen seventies. Um, a very kinky tale of of, of the future. Yeah, um, kinky, I know, kinky tail. I, I always love that tagline, man. And Jason Robards being the only person I, I recognize of that. Um, one of the reasons I'm picking it out as uh, one of my favorite post-apocalyptic films is that uh, um, I really I really like the way they stretch their dollar on a couple of ways. I mean, they're just in these sand pits in the desert. And the, the their, their implication is that all the buildings in Phoenix have been buried under the sand. And people dig down into the buildings. So you've got these... The exterior set is just, an, is just a flat playa, but then you dig down into a building and now you can have action set pieces inside the gymnasium, the hollowed-out old school that they had. I really like the way that they stretched their, their, their dollar in that movie. And I um, <clears throat> also really like the look of the... Uh, of the scavengers of the uh, rovers, um, the uh, it's a look that preceded uh, some of the post-apocalyptic films that we now think of as canon, uh, like Road Warrior, uh, things like that, where you know there's that there's that particular look of of worn clothes sewn together thirty or forty times, you know, sometimes foregoing certain parts of the clothing as long as the the pertinent parts that you need, like the part with pockets or the part with the sun visor, is intact, and the rest of it could just be worn away to nothing as long as you've got something to shield your eyes from the UV or something, or have pockets to put more bullets in. Uh, so, um, I uh, I really enjoyed that, and uh, you know, again, the budget being what it was, they couldn't do quite everything that uh, Harlan Ellison had in mind for that film. Couldn't show us the screamer, you know, but. Um, uh, couldn't quite show us the robot down under in the in the uh, bunker, but uh, I really I've always enjoyed uh, I've always enjoyed a boy and his dog, and I thought it uh, it was very forward looking as far as the you know how to design an apocalypse. You know, it was definitely it was definitely part of a, a, an upward trend towards towards Road Warrior. You know, which was sort of our <laughs> our ultimate stylized stylish apocalypse. What's stylish apocalypse wear? That, we've we've done an entire show about Boy and His Dog, so there's no not much more to say about that. You're on mute now. Now I'm unmuted. Uh, the one thing I remembered 
when you I think we mentioned that when we did the show on a boy and his dog was when you mentioned the screamers. Uh, they're in. It would have been after, so I think he they probably took. They, they bet you they took it from there. Legion of Gold, GW One, the adventure. Uh, one of the side adventures, uh, you find a series of uh, shelters. Like there's like ten Fallout shelters, and in one of them, they have a radioactive creature in there. They call it the Screamers because they glowed and they made a lot of noise and stuff like that. So I'm like, one. I always wonder. It's like, huh? Did they crib the idea for the Screamers from Screamers from in uh, a boy and his dog? Certainly in the in the in the novel, they come off <clears throat> almost exactly like the creatures in the the Gamma World adventure, in that they are a radiation threat. Yeah. Don't let them touch you. Slimy and green and covered in radiation. That's mm. their problem. That's their deal. So they're exactly like they are in in uh, almost exactly like they are in a boy and his dog. Um, cool. Okay, so that that would be nine number five. So the let's go. Trailer for that movie is awesome. The what? The trailer. Have you seen the trailer for a boy and his dog. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, oh, it's, it's so strange. It's so seventies, man. It's awesome, you know. Um, uh, Chris, let's get your number five. Okay, first a little bit of background. I decided to do something a little different, just to give us a bit more breadth of choices by doing it based on animated movies. The following are chosen for very significant reasons, besides being a relatively good movie, but also its significance within its time frame. My first number five movie is the classic movie Rock and Rule, done in. 1983, it is commonly, if you haven't talked about it already, it's a Canadian movie that was produced where the main villain is trying to summon a demon in a post-apocalyptic environment using power and rock and roll. And essentially he finds his muse to be used to help summon this demon. And as a result, the rest of the band has to basically rescue her in order to save the day. But they end up rescuing each other in the process. It has, the reason it's significant is it basically shows a type of genre animation that happened between the 70s to the 80s where they did try to do a lot of really adult movies during this era none of them really made a lot of money like I'd say the most successful is heavy metal yet paradoxically rock and roll has an equally good soundtrack that's never been released oh yeah uh, Deborah Harry cheap trick Iggy pop you know yeah. dude when your villains Iggy pop that's always a plus in my side yeah, yeah. I, I really remember rock and roll, and I remember the opening lines from the, the the villain introduction song, which is "My name is Mott, and thanks a lot." You know, mm -hmm. with that, as, as it opens on on him. Um, I even this is how much I like that film. I cribbed him for a villain uh, in a role playing game. Saw that movie and thought, okay, next villain is going to be Mott. It's going to be or Mock, I guess yes. it was. Uh, mock, uh, and uh, we're going to make a villain who is a, a, a gigantic, narcissistic uh, rock and roll star. So uh, now the, the post-apocalypse aspect, actually let me ask a question for you, Chris. Um, the animation when I saw it a million years ago looked like halfway between Bakshi and Bluth. Do we know anything about the animation team that produced that film? Actually, like yes. It was done by Nelvana, actually. Okay. And it had a series of cinematography was done by Lenora Hearn. As okay. far as I can tell, it was edited by G. Scott LaBarge. Like, it's another one of these films that I wouldn't be surprised the National Film Board of Canada was at least somewhat involved because they couldn't get it released in the United States because it was considered too risque, ultimately. 
Okay. Yeah, that's no, one of those I've, interesting facts there. I've never, I've never, I've never seen that film. Yeah. Uh, there's okay. a. Uh, the other aspect is. Um, isn't one of the other aspects in it that uh, humans are all now hybrids with some of the other animals? Oh, actually, there... there's, there's no humans whatsoever in this movie. Everybody is essentially a mutant of some sort. Okay. Ranging from mildly comical to mildly horrific. Like, essentially, Iggy Pop is playing himself as Mock, which is yeah. actually part of the fun of the thing. Yeah. And he's just having a blast. Like, he is chewing the scenery so much, I'm surprised there's anything left out of the apocalypse. <laughs> No, I particularly remember him. I particularly remember the animation of that scene where he's in his limo talking to the, talking to the AI that he's got in there. That's as he's sort of, you know, being his butler minion or whatever. Who's when he's warming up his plans. Uh, the animation on that really grabbed me as a kid when I saw it. I was it was excellent in, in villain intro, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that is not one I would have pulled down. That's very cool, Mr. Thrasher. Have you seen it? Uh, I have never seen the whole thing. I I caught this uh, uh, back when I was uh, in high school. Uh, it showed up like late, late, late at night on cable, probably on USA or TNT, and I caught the last half hour. And I've tracked. I, I've seen clips since then. I've never been able to track down a copy of the DVD. I know it got a DVD release. I think in two thousand two. Mm -hmm. uh, another great thing I love about that film. Spoiler alert is I love any villain who's so villainous that at some point, even his own minions go, okay, fuck this guy. Mm -hmm. And his minions are out at some point. I think they even waste him. I can't remember. Oh, it gets better. They actually show a cartoon saying you need to, a children's cartoon to the two mooks, where it says you need to know the difference between good and evil. That's right. Mook 1 oh. and Mook 2 get, get the, uh, the Teddy Rexman treatment and learn that there is such a thing as good and evil. Um, that's, that's hilarious. Well, there's that lines like evil spelled backwards is live, and we all want to live. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh yes. That's, oh, that's that's, uh, that's a good pick there, Chris. Thank you, thank you. See again, that's why I knew I knew this would be a good diverse group to get a lot of different films out there. So. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my number five. I, I had a last minute change of heart on 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 a on a film, uh, post-apocalyptic film, and I did not mention it in our pre-show talk. Okay. This film is more of a micro-apocalypse. Uh, you know, as you know, I classify. You know, I said you know you got the full-size, full-scale micro-apocalypse as just being within a confined area, and it's a film that is definitely a I. I've talked about before. I feel it's very apocalyptic. It's a film I love. Got on my iPad. I watch it. You know, a lot of times when I travel. It is Pandorum. Yeah, yeah. Pandorum. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, because I forgot. Because I have so many films on my list. I've been thinking of, and I forgot. I was like, oh yeah, Pandorum. I love Pandorum. Because well, we're, uh, we're back on the generation ship, Jared's favorite place. Yeah, we're on the generation ship because you know it's confined. You didn't. You don't know. You don't know what's going on. It's very sci-fi. You got all these, you know, creatures going on. As you learn more and more of what's happening, it's like, well, who are these creatures? Why are these creatures here? Oh, shit's been going bad for a while. Oh, everything fucking fell apart. Um, I just thought it was uh, good acting. I thought, you know, the special effects, the uh, action was really good. I like love the storyline. You know, I love this. You know, the surprise ending. I'm not going to reveal too much. You know, this much, but just overall, that just um, 
Uh, the film was just, I just, I just think it was very well done. It didn't get a big, um, uh, it did not get a big, um, uh, it did, it, I don't think it did that well in the theaters. I'm trying to look that up right now to see what it, uh, what its numbers were. As I recall, it came and went real fast, and it wasn't helped by the fact that it, all the trailers and ads made it look like the most generic of aliens ripoffs, replacing <laughs> the xenomorph with zombies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it totally, it did totally did not. It, it was not marketed well. I know. I remember seeing a lot of people like, "Oh, that's not what I thought it was going to be." But I remember going because that came out in 2009. I remember going and okay, it was box office uh, 20, 20 and a half million. Ow. Uh, budget Ooh. was budget was thirty three million, so it was a flop. Ooh. But that came out six year that came out six years uh, came out six years ago. Uh, who, who was the uh, since you're looking at it on IMDb? Who was the actor who played uh, across from uh, Dennis Quaid? Uh, was that uh, Ben Foster? Ben Foster. There's a guy who every time he's on screen, he does something good, and no matter how small or weird or bad the film is. Uh, he was in 30 Days of uh, Night playing the Renfield. Yep. Um, he's, he was in uh, 310 to Yuma, which is a terrible movie, but he was good in it. Um, ben Foster is just a, a really top-notch B actor who oh, yeah. I, I hope that being in a flop didn't put him back at the bottom of the, you know, oh, yeah. he did, bottom he, of the drawer. He did a great job. Dennis Quaid did a great job in that film. I said... You know, uh, I mean, 33, I guess 33 million is not a huge budget uh, for films nowadays, uh, depending. But, again, I said, visually it was, it was well, great storyline. Again, as they revealed more, like I said, more and more, like, what happened, why it happened. Just, I just thought it was done so well. I just, I really enjoyed that film, like, a tremendous amount. Again, micro-apocalypse, but it's also an apocalypse because why are they on a generation ship? Because the fucking Earth is going to crap. So yeah. that's why they left on a generation ship. So, uh, and not to spoil too much, but yeah, something happens on Earth, which makes so it really makes an apocalyptic film because the Earth is fucked, you know. Yeah. So, you know, so it really is overall not just a micro apocalypse, but it's a, in the broader scheme, it is apocalypse. Because you talked about Scott. Well, if you leave the Earth because the Earth is fucked, we're out. We're out. We're out in the colonies. You know, does it make it apocalyptic? Yes. Yeah, like like uh, is Firefly post-apocalyptic? Technically, uh, maybe there's an apocalypse back on Earth, but it, you know, at this point, we're beyond it being a post-apocalypse, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like Traveler 2300 is set in Game Designer Workshop's timeline. Frank Chadwick and Mark Miller's, you know, well, not really Mark Miller, but Frank Chadwick's timeline of after Twilight 2000, you know, 300 years. It's not technically it's post-apocalypse, but you know, that's like saying that the the uh, Industrial Revolution is is the post-apocalyptic setting of, of the classical age, you know, collapsing under the Middle Ages. It's not quite the same thing. Yeah, there's, there's, there's got to be a line from when post-apocalyptic it becomes normal. It's just it's just the world as is, you know, like... Um, or there's a like, renaissance. There's a, re yeah. you know, you're, you're no longer in the downward slide or in that trough. It's yeah. on its way back up again. Like, mm -hmm. uh, like, like, apparently the uh, well, it, it, well, it is, but uh, like the Shannara series. Yes, which it's is apparently post-apocalyptic. I, uh, I can't get into. It. Anyway, all right. So that is my number five, Pandorum. Love that film. If you haven't seen it, folks, go see it. Uh, William, number four. 
My number four, I also uh, went to the well of animation. My number four pick is the Ralph Bakshi classic Wizards. <laughs> which is a fantasy epic, but it's a fantasy epic on a post-apocalyptic Earth that has finally rebuilt itself and recovered from its apocalypse. An apocalypse so devastating, magic started working again, but now uh, the the wizard Dark Wolf is ready to start a whole new apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And the best kind of apocalypse, because it's got mutants and Nazis on the same plate. That's Mutant you know. Nazis. Yeah, talk? I mean, I think everybody needs a hobby. Yeah, I just feel like that's just one of the most like chilling images. Like the apocalypse was so devastating, Earth hasn't known a war since the final war, and that's really that's you know Dark Wolf's you know uh, master plan. He's figured out how war works, and he's going to bring it back. And he's got like a magic powered projector that shows old Nazi propaganda films. Like there's just this great scene where they intercut between the like the the mutants and the copy of Triumph of the Will that they're watching, and it's just wonderfully <laughs> disturbing. The movie's full of disturbing images, and yet you are somewhat sympathetic with White Wolf because he and his people live on the worst scrap of radioactive real estate on the planet. <laughs> oh, now you're gonna now you're gonna rewrite history and tell us that Mordor's real name is Orkistan and that we have to show some sort of like deference to the culture and the oh no uh, and the contributions of the orcish peoples is that where you're going with this no no not at all because like dark wolf and his mutants at any point they could have just goddamn moved yeah. to a more fertile patch of land where it wasn't radioactive instead of just sitting there becoming bitter and crazy yeah. uh i mean you know and that's the thing like he finds all this old industrial equipment he doesn't use that industrial equipment to till the soil and try to like make it arable land again. No, he uses it to make tanks and and murder people on a grand scale. But one of the things that always really uh, sticks with me is there's this great scene, and it's the the scene where you have sympathy for the villain, is when, you know, he has a wife, who I don't think you ever see who's going to give birth, and these soothsayers come up, and he says, well, soothsayers, what is it? Is the child going to be human or mutant? And they kind of whisper to each other, mutant, my lord. <laughs> He's like just so infuri- infuriated that she's not going to give birth to a viable uh, human being. Yeah, well, you have sympathy for him until he goes, then get rid of it. I mean, his, well. his option is, mm-hmm. you know, to snuff it out, you know, the stain of mutation, says the guy with bones for arms. You know? oh, yeah, well, <laughs> well, I don't think, well, there is no humans anywhere left in that movie, you know, so... Uh, well, presumably so- Avatar is a human. Um, he's got pointy ears in the um in the still images. Yeah, he looks like an astro from ElfQuest for the most part. Bingo. Or 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 it could be something out of like uh, Cheech Wizard or something. But yeah. um, well, he's uh, clearly he's clearly something out of Cheech Wizard, only with more limbs and less hat. Well, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Cobalt Sixty. A lot of the feel of. Uh, uh, I think I would not be surprised if um, Von Bode had something to say to Bakshi about that. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> holy crap, does Necron ninety nine look exactly like Cobalt sixty? Yeah. Yeah. So Wizards, yes, excellent choice. Well, uh, like I said, I love that film. What, what is it like? How many? They're like the Earth healed itself. It's like a mil. Is it like a million years or, or something like that? It was a very long time. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I, I want to say like it's at least it might be a million because it might be on like a fantasy calendar and in fantasy yeah. worlds history takes a hundred times longer to happen than in real life. 
it's it's got to be like at least a thousand. I think there's like a even a reference to like Avatar being like five thousand years old. Well, and he healed people after the apocalypse. Don't forget, don't forget that the apocalypse is is World War Seven. I mean, it's like something like. They yeah. don't say World War Three. They got some other number in there. Those. Yeah, those I, th- I think they call it like the seventh global conflict or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So it took us a while, but we, we got there. <laughs> yeah, but no, Wizards, excellent choice, excellent choice. It's a. Uh, it's, it's again, that's one. I remember seeing that like early '80s um, video store. Like, what is, this, what is this Wizards thing? You know, the pot. It was. It was. It was. Oh. Uh, the theater. Went to the wow, theater. You got, you got the seat in the theater? At the AMC. Uh, yeah, you know, six the, well, the AMC 6, because it was PG rated. We could get in whatever age. So I saw it on the first run because I'd oh, seen really? trailers for it. I'd seen trailers for it in the theater. Wow, you're old, dude. Yes, you I am. That's right. <laughs> the, only, the only thing that, that's got more numbers on it right now is our show. Our show passed me only like two shows ago. So yeah, I I saw Wizards in the theater. Uh, I think nineteen seventy seven. Yep. Well, it was it was very close to Star Wars. Remember, we talked about how close it was to Star Wars. Oh yeah. Because Bashi and Lucas were aware, and there was a there was a deal with the titles being similar, and they worked that out. So it was right after Star Wars. I must see more things explode, you know. Um, and went to see Wizards and was happy. It wasn't Star Wars, but it would, I was happy. As a you know, eleven year old or whatever. Very good. Uh, th- thanks, Will. Unless you have something else to add, like um, what? Just that it's, it's a wonderful hybrid of, of high fantasy and post apocalyptic science fiction, and I and I love that the the you know Avatar for being this big powerful wizard. I love that he uses practical non magical solutions for problems. Oh, you mean yes. like the handgun right between the eyes? <laughs> well, well, I wasn't going to give that away, but yeah. <laughs> Everybody, everybody loves that ending. Everybody wants that ending to happen. Let's be honest, kids. Avatar went there before Indiana Jones did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here, here, here's one Mama never taught you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, Excellent I, choice. Thank, yeah. thank you, Will. Scott, number four. Number four is going to be Threads. Um, I'm going to go with the British film Threads. Insofar as I'm not sure it's a film that I can watch over and over and over again, but as far as post-apocalyptic, they show us the apocalypse and then they just keep showing us the repercussions. They just—they won't let us just. Oh, it's—it's it's, um, holy crap! I've suddenly forgotten the name of the actor uh, who was in uh, the day after, wandering around in the rubble. Jason Robards. You know, they showed Jason Robards in the day after, you know, groping around the rubble of his house you know, for a few minutes. Threads just takes you two generations down the line to where, you know, our retarded offspring are pooping out stillbirths, you know, in the rubble. And that the people who remember things before they were rubble don't have any teeth in their heads. They have black gums and, you know, uh, that film's unrelenting and it keeps showing you more and more scenes of the apocalypse. Um, sure, there's these implications. There's something else out there. <clears throat> uh, there's a scene where our retarded granddaughter is stealing food. Bobby, you, coming, baby. Yeah, and 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 uh, there's a helicopter that's overhead chasing them out of the uh, food storage area. So there's there's an implication that there's some sort of there might be some other 
sell or survival of technological mankind, but for the vast majority of people reduced to the level of medieval peasants, they're never going to see it. Well, yeah, well, the government kind of organized and started, you know, having people till the fields to grow food, and at the beginning, they had tractors. Yeah. But then towards, you know, you showed it late when they went more to the future, they're just pulling freaking plows by yeah. hand, or horses then by hand, like people pulling them. They're I, like, I this, this is the last harvest that will be brought in through machine culture. And so machine culture just keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until the average person is essentially reduced to a almost Stone Age level of, uh, of survival because there's not enough food to support a big enough group of people to have industrialization or have, you know, a big cooperative society outside of the tiniest of pockets. Um, uh, I'd give Threads. I think Threads is a film that they're going to show people 100 years from now to sort of tee-hee and ha-ha about how quaint we were worrying about nuclear Armageddon back in the 80s when something else got us when we weren't looking. You know what I mean? That there'll be some other apocalypse that will uh, maybe not sneak up on us, but, you know, if you close your eyes and close your ears and say la-la-la real loud, anything can sneak up on you. So I, I suspect that the idea of a, that there are going to be people who look back and think how quaint it was that we were worried about a... a bipolar, you know, political world, East versus West, nuclear Armageddon is going to seem, you know, ridiculous compared to the part when Burundi, you know, nukes Botswana, you know, uh, where anybody has nukes. And, you know, it's all down to that kind of street fight level of apocalypse, you know. And where the apocalypse is, is what do you say, uh, Somebody who described the, an apocalypse as, what if the apocalypse is not evenly distributed? Hmm. So, you know, there's places that could be apocalyptic, and what we end up with is, well, I think we'll save that for one of my other favorites. A not evenly distributed apocalypse is actually factors into one of my, my favorite films, so I'm going to shut up about that now and just say Threads. Oh, yeah, no, Threads, again, it's a classic pick. I, I remember watching it when it aired on TBS back in uh, 85. Uh, like it originally, it already aired over in England. Um, it came, it came before or after the day after, I think, if I remember correctly. The day after came. I remember watching it, and it was. I remember we've talked about threads in the day after before, yeah. but I, I remember watching it like on TBS channel. You know, Ted Turner, eighty-five, and thinking just like, wow, this f brutal. It is just a brutal, bleak film again it's it, and it's, it's it gets hard to watch because it's it's really um, um, it, because again that's what they're trying to do to make you think is like wow we can't pull itself up because look how hard your life is going to be yeah. it was it was definitely an impactful film uh, so that's a, that's a good choice there so thank you Scott Chris four okay my number four is the animatrix the anthology that was done between <laughs> the matrix one and the matrix two which basically was an anthology of multiple movies that were mixed together that told different facets of the different storytelling. It's significant for a number of reasons. One, it's bloody awesome. Two, it helped set up the anthology concept for later shows, such as when they did The Dark Knight, they did something similar there as well within popular media. It gave you a chance to show different facets of a story in order to do so. Like, the stories themselves were the Second Renaissance, Detective Story, Kid Story, Final Fight of the Osiris. And personally, all of them had advantages and disadvantages here. 
ranging from the almost Astro Boy-like feel of the Second Renaissance to the much darker, almost realistic level of you know, Final Flight of the Osiris, which was a really harsh one when he finally does fall apart. Yeah. I would argue this is the true successor of the anim- you know, of the Matrix, ultimately, especially compared to where it went with the second and third movies. Oh, yeah, the second and th- third films are, are stunning in their failure. I mean, it, it's hard to believe that the same people were, were involved with those later projects. The Animatrix, when I saw it, I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed. I loved the second Renaissance and the last flood of the Osias. Those are the two that stand out the most. Um, those are both brutally uh, uh, nasty films demonstrating our place in the new world, you know, uh, and how we fell from the top of the food chain. It's uh, really amazing stuff. Oh, definitely. Plus, it's interesting to see how history repeated itself ultimately, but this time instead of being organics, suppressing organics, it's the mechanical suppressing organics ultimately, and our responses are what doomed us ultimately how we treated the new life, especially if you compare contrast with some other stories involving when new life appears, such as Isomoth and so forth. Like, uh, technically the Foundation is an apocalypse, it's just a very well-written one. Yep. Okay. Anything Excellent. else? Um, no. Oh, thank you, Chris. That's very, very well put. And, and yeah, again, you know, the collection of movies, you know, because they show the after, the before, like how do we, how do they get there? So it was, it was, pre- it was a pretty good concept. I remember when it came out, it's like, what is this animatrix, animated matrix film? You know, and it's like, oh wow, you know, it was uh, not, not what I expected. Uh, so it wound up uh, resonating very, very well with me uh, when that came out, because that was what, like early two thousands that came out, like. Um, oh yeah. Like, it, uh... Two maybe two thousand two two thousand three. Easy way to find out. It came out June third two thousand three. Yay! I got it. Well, kind of got it. But uh, awesome. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, number four for me. I'm gonna go with Carriers. Uh, I know I've talked about that film before. Carriers is a two thousand nine. Uh, post-apocalyptic horror, as they say, post-apocalyptic horror film. Um, it starred Chris Pine. Uh, you know our future Captain Kirk um, for the Star Trek reboot. Actually, he did that film before. He did Carriers before uh, Star Trek came out. And then when Star Trek came out, he became a very like, hey, Chris Pine. So then they were they were actually able to get they were actually able to release it after that because they knew they were going to get a little attention. Uh, because you know Chris Pine was able to carry some weight now, uh, but yeah, it, it basically it is a um, post-apocalyptic film. It is the apocalypse has happened. It's a it's a it's a long it's a road trip film. You know, it's uh they're trying to get from point A to point B. Uh, they talk about you know in the beginning like what happened because basically it was just it was it was a viral thing. It wasn't nuclear war. It wasn't wasn't uh, any kind of war. It was just a pandemic, super flu type of thing, which was just killing off the population. Um, and, I, and I liked it because, again, it was a simple film, uh, but it was I think it was really pa- uh, impactful. This, you know, they didn't have a, I mean, the budget had to be small on that one. Um, they don't even list the budget here. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it was a Distributed by Paramount. Uh, I'm trying to think, did it even get? Yeah, it was released in September. It only made like almost six million in the theaters. 
It does. I was filmed in 2006. Wow. Uh, so it didn't get released until three years later because Pines. It's a Pines. Um, and it does not. No, I do not see anywhere what a budget is. But it was a low budget film. Uh, but what they what they did what they did with the budget I thought was really good. Um, I, and again, I like the concept of the viral uh, apocalypses too because I think it is a plausible, uh, you know. Apocalypse. Not as not so much as you know. Maybe it was you know when we had all the you know the the, the flu pandemics you know from a hundred years ago, which really wiped a lot of people out because our medical technology has gotten a lot better and we're able to prevent that shit. But we've had a lot of breakouts you know with the, with the Asian bird flu, H1N1, all that stuff. So that stuff's always kind of lurking. You know, you know, bubonic plague is still out there. You know, uh, in the wilds, like in China. So don't worry, Jenny McCarthy's going to fix that. Uh, I guarantee he's going to make sure he's going to make sure that we we can bring back the viral apocalypse that you were hoping for, Jared. Don't oh, you worry. You. Yeah. So be sure to send Miss McCarthy a nice fruit basket. Yeah. So so that's why I like it because again I think it's plausible. It's like as much as I like you know the idea of the you know the zombie films and all these other films, but I think a viral apocalypse is something that really could happen. Um, so then I think they do a good job of it, especially they start getting into back into some population areas, and you just see what's left. You know, the the garbage pickup. You know, the how you know with like there's like trucks abandoned because people just they're just dying and dying and dying off. You know, the bodies stacked it outside. They're coming for waste disposal, like just throwing them in the back of garbage trucks. You get to see all that's left. You know, they encounter uh, like the last bastion of like uh, a medical. People trying to work on it, work on it, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, we we had something that worked for two days, you know. So it's it's very bleak, not very hopeful. Um, you know, uh, it's a movie where you know they're not afraid to kill off characters. Uh, there's not a lot of characters, but they kill off characters uh, in in the film. Uh, so again, overall, I just I just I was very I thought it was very well I thought it was well done. Again, not a big budget film, a lot of good ideas, a lot of good concepts. Um, you know, very, you know, very simple, that's simple, but, you know, it wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't elaborate over the top, uh, but it just, it's something I, I really enjoyed, and it's a movie I really, I do enjoy uh, watching. Has everybody seen Carriers? Sadly, no. You've seen it? No, it's Chris. Well, um, it's out there. Uh, if you get a chance, uh, def definitely watch Carriers. It's uh, Mr. Wallace is right. It's a road picture. It's a road trip picture, and there's not like they're gonna find Patient Zero at the end of the end of the, you know, uh, end of the Hillebrick Road and fix the problem. You know, there's no fixing the problem. Sure, the problem ha the problem happened. It's done. Oh, uh, could you post a link in the chat for Carriers just for our for our audience? You know, like from IMDb or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's 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 a it's a good it's a good one to to catch, folks. I definitely uh, again recommend uh, uh, carriers. Number three. So, number three. Will give us your number three. All right. Uh, this this is my uh, surprise one. Uh, my number three post-apocalyptic movie is Return to Oz. And the reason I picked this one, it isn't. It is an odds an Oz movie. It is based on uh, two different novels by uh, L. Frank Baum. 
Palm, the creator of the Oz books. However, it is by far the darkest uh, film adaptation of any Oz book, and it takes place in a post-apocalyptic version of the Land of Oz. When Dorothy finally gets to Oz, after escaping a mental institution where she is going to get electroshock therapy, she ends up in a version of Oz that is completely depopulated, except by hideous monsters with wheels for feet and hands. Well, and a woman who has a vault of heads. She does, in fact, have a vault of heads. Yeah. Yes, and, and some apocalyptic event has wiped out the entire population of the Emerald City. You uh, you have a point there. It is, in fact, I suppose, it's not often we get an Ozpocalypse. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Uh, what I do. Uh, Ozpocalypse. Um, the Wheelers were good and scary. Uh, I won't uh, I won't disagree there. Who doesn't like seeing Ferusa Ball dressed up in you know uh, Dorothy clothes? You know I know that's in my spank bank. She um, was twelve in that goddamn movie. What is wrong with you? I'm so glad I finally got a response out of Will. <laughs> um, at this point, if you have to ask what's wrong with Scott, then it's too late. <laughs> I ain't going there, man. It's okay. She's thirty. She's like forty years old now, so it's okay. Good God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're you all. Are, you are a horrible, horrible person. Thank you. Thank you very much. Perfect. I'm sorry. After after seeing her in things like American History X and um, uh, and things to do in Denver when you're dead um, and. The craft, and I, I and and I love Doctor Moreau. I have a hard time looking at that Oz film and not remembering her with the swastika tattoo and the the teeth that are just coming at you in every role she's ever in. It's really it's sort of disconcerting to see that like somewhere there was a stage mother grooming this woman who now what like owns a uh, uh, I think she owns a, a magical supply shop or an occult supply shop in L.A. You know, that they were grooming her for, for Dorothy roles back in the day. Um, that's she's just, great in the film. I'm no, I'm not saying she's not. She's always been a good actress. And I'm really sorry, frankly, that she's kind of disappeared, you know, from Hollywood. Uh, like, I don't know if they just don't know what to do with her or what, but she she's just not getting the work anymore, not since the turn of the century. Well, she... she she was in that A Lost Souls uh, documentary about the making of Island of Dr. Moreau. It's really yeah, and it was, and there was a point where she sort of discussed that she can talk about the situation pretty freely because it's not going to hurt her career because she does not have one anymore. So she could actually talk off the cuff and not worry about repercussions. You know? Um, uh, but yes, I, that's the last thing I, 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 I saw her in. And again, talented actress, and again... Uh, nobody knows what to do with her except, you know, make her the the scary girl from the on the you know scary girl on the left, I guess, you know. But oh well. Um, uh, yeah, have I dug myself out of the pedophile hole yet? No, yet no, no. no. All right, still still got short eyes. All right, great. That's how that's how I'll be remembered. Um, now right. until forever. Right. Uh, now, now remember, folks, the uh, opinions expressed by Adam Scott Glancy are not necessarily the opinions of all all the co-hosts on Podcast Act Round Zero. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. 
Uh, hello, bus. <laughs> Here it comes. Bus. I think I think you've got a problem with the brakes on the le- on the front right wheel well. I think those. Uh, th- I, I'm not sure the calipers are, are really adjusted properly. Thanks. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, Getting back uh, to Return of Oz, since that's what we're talking about here. Let's uh, hope personally, let's I, to Oz, so will. Uh, so, so why, why does that uh, does that film? Why why Return to Oz? Well, well, Chris, Chris had a comment, I think. Oh yes, uh, one of the things that I particularly liked is how basically the Oz was surrounded by petrification sand, where basically everybody turned to dust, kind of an almost that basically kept the borders tight. It's from the original material, but they literally appeared right on the border. Showing, I'll give you an almost a Mad Max feel of all things, especially when you see the wheelie chase. <laughs> yeah. And where else can you take a villain down with a chicken? Yeah, <laughs> that's that gnomish biology it gets you every time. But no, I think I think the reason this movie sticks with me is if one, it it is a, a movie that's not afraid to be dark. Uh, and and I love that it does drop you into this post this post apocalyptic version of Oz. You have unless of course you'd read the the source material. You have no idea where all the people have gone. You have no idea what's going on. There's just this little girl and her chicken, who have to find a way to deal with this wasteland they've suddenly found themselves in. Mm-hmm. A boy and his dog to a girl and her chicken. Mm. Uh, that would have been a better title. Yeah. Well. Well. At least. Uh, at least. Well, they'd say um, the Wiz. And so, you know, so at least we're, we're at least, least uh... <laughs> and no, yeah, there's that live telecast uh, next week, I think. What? And ultimately, you don't need fleshy-headed mutants when you have a mechanical robot, you know, brass man, a frickin' scarecrow with a pumpkin head, and a moose head attached to a bunch of sofas with wings. Oh, yeah. That's that point, horrific... you basically crossed the line. Oh, the, that fucking sofa thing? Jesus Christ. <laughs> The gumph, and and when they bring it back to life after assembling its body with that magic dust, they even talk. They even ask, "Well, how how'd you get here?" Well, I was drinking in a lake. I looked up. I heard a bang, and then I was here. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's grimo. I mean, I would think that if you if you've been resurrected as a disembodied head sewn onto a couch, you know, with these, your first words need to be "fucking kill me." Okay? Yeah, when they bring him back, it should just be, ah, you assholes, why would you do this to anybody? Why would you, do you hate me so much that now I'm going to have crack stink on me from people sitting on me? I'm going to be a couch, a flying, moose-headed couch thing. That is so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, my God. God. When, when you said kill me, all I could do is I could hear in the voice of, um, I forget the character's name from uh, The Dawn of the Dead. Uh, 2000, 2004, uh, when they when they fall down the sewer and he breaks his legs and he's pulling along and gets sworn and they kill me. <laughs> yeah, right about like that. Oh my god, or more like Tom Skerritt hanging from the um, ceiling in the original Aliens. You know. Oh it, yeah, yeah. There is no there is no good that can come from uh, being resurrected and then sewn piecemeal onto furniture. That's not good. That's bad. That's bad. Right, Dorothy, uh, Dorothy is a bad girl for doing that. Right. Any, anything else about uh, any more insight on uh, Return to Oz, uh, Will? Uh, no, just that uh, there is uh, some fantastic uh, there's some fantastic animation uh, oh, by, uh, by Will Vinton, the stop motion animator, who does uh, 
all these special effects and animation for the gnomes from the gnome kingdom uh, who they're not affected by the apocalypse because they are under Oz and not a part of Oz and and he just does this amazing like living rock saying mm-hmm. and the final confrontation with the gnome king is full of apocalyptic imagery there's lava there's exploding mountains there's faces turning into skulls it's truly a, a feast for the eyes the, the the gnome faces moving through the rock was something i always remember about that the the claymation gnome faces moving through the rocks it, to this day that is what i imagine earth elementals look like it's just such a <laughs> perfect representation of a being made of stone mm, yeah not mm. a, there is not enough fire in the world to fix that problem mm-hmm. <laughs> Hmm. All right. Uh, thank you, Will. Uh, Scott, number three. Uh, number three. Um, I will. Um, I'm going to go with the Quiet Earth. Uh, it's a New Zealand film. Uh, now, what is Bruno's last name? I'm suddenly forgetting the the, the uh, New Zealand Mars. actor. Mars. No, that is not <laughs> it. Thanks. That would not be it. Um, but um, the. The Quiet Earth was a film that came out, I want to say, in the 80s, because I think I saw it um, Yeah, 1985. Uh, the, the New Zealand actor is a guy named Bruno Lawrence, and um, it is literally one of these last man-on-earth stories. Uh, I, don't know if we've ta- I know we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but the guy wakes up one morning, and he's the only person left. And no matter what he keeps swinging at or how far he keeps going or how fast he keeps going, he does not see another person left, you know. He doesn't even see bodies. Yeah, yeah. There's no bodies. There's no there's, – there's I think at some point he finds signs that, like, there's airplanes crashed with the empty seats with the fucking seatbelts still buckled in the seats, but there's no corpses. Um, and at some point, you know uh, – what I loved about it is he does all the things you're supposed to do. You gather supplies, you get some, you know, you get some weapons, you get some canned food, you find a house you want to live into, you get the stereo system you always wanted. You know, all that crap that happens when uh, we have these fantasies about the world being a giant, you know, convenience store for us. But at some point, he goes absolutely bug shit crazy all by himself. And there's these scenes where at some point he's gathered all these mannequins and cardboard cutouts like from movie stores of like Humphrey Bogart and uh, Marilyn Monroe. John Wayne. Yeah, and he's got them all in this front lawn of this mansion he's moved into with this balcony and he's up there wearing nothing but a woman's woman's slip um, screaming at the mannequins like he's Il Duce, you know, on the yelling at, you know, the fascist dictator, you know, I rule, I am the ruler of the world. He just goes completely buggo, just talking absolute fucking nonsense. I mean, it's just word salad at that point. And then in some, and then, you know, a little bit later, he's cleaning up the yard. I mean, there's a lot of this film goes by with no dialogue, you know? Like El, El Duce, you mean the lead singer from The Mentors? I was going to say El Duche, like Donald Trump. Um, oh, hard. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, You've uh, redeemed yourself now. Have I? Okay. Oh. Yes. Um, I, I don't know why anyone didn't come up with Il Duche first, but it just seemed so off, obvious. Um, but, uh, yeah, he cleans, up, he cleans himself up and gets himself back together, and there's this one moment where he meets somebody, he finally finds somebody else in New Zealand. And she has this moment where she says, I went a little crazy. And he's like, 
I'm just imagining that, you know, and then they find another survivor. Everyone goes through that moment when they find out there's only three people left in fucking New Zealand and who knows how many left in Australia. And, you know, maybe you can get into, maybe you can use all your fingers and toes for China, you know, but uh, that everyone that isolated just goes buggo at some point and has to come back from it. Um, and I just, that's one of the aspects of the quiet earth that I, that I absolutely love. It is, it's, it does that thing where the silence of the world becomes deafening, uh, and, you know, a, a deafening torture with the sounds of nothing else. Um, quiet earth is a really interesting apocalypse. There is a reason. It's not just like a, a surreal apocalypse, like say, um, uh, rhinoceros, the, you know, the old play where everyone just starts turning into rhinoceroses. Uh, there's actually a reason why everyone's disappeared. Uh, it's this stuff involving higher dimensions, and uh, it, it's enough pseudoscience that you've got a good reason why it why it's believable. Um, it's absolutely worth a look, and there's a reason why people have survived the apocalypse. Um, yeah, uh, that whole point about them having survived the apocalypse is that's interesting. Um, there's a very special set of circumstances that need to be need to happen when you're surviving what the event. Um, so, uh, anyways, <clears throat> uh, how to recommend? I, I, that's my number three. I second that recommendation. That is an amazing film. I've tried. I've been trying forever to try to get a hold of that damn thing, uh, but it's always like buku expensive, like DVDs on uh, eBay and Amazon you just and it's not available just as like a you know oh you can just rent it it's hard it's hard to get it's hard to get a hold of folks but I'm sure at this point it's got to be on YouTube right you know what's crazy is that in the 90s they used to play it all the time on Bravo back when Bravo was the arts and culture channel as opposed to what is it now cooking shows and uh, housewives yeah <clears throat> Yeah. Well, a, a lot of a lot of show, a lot of television stations are way different from than they were in the uh, the nineties. I, I want to point out that one of the pillars of David Wong's um, futuristic violence and fancy suits seems to be the idea that reality TV has destroyed civilization. <laughs> um, that's one of the that's one of the things that's going on in his book, uh, Futuristic Violence and Fancy Suits, where where that's what people aspire to since it's cheap entertainment and it's everywhere, uh, they just aspire to being uh, as crappy as the real housewives or the Kardashians, or that's the best they can imagine in the world. Well, well that's how television works now. All the networks decide to compete with each other by being exactly the same as all other networks. <laughs> yes, thank goodness. Um, yeah, the History Channel. I, I used to joke, the History Channel, ha-ha, the Hitler Channel, that's so funny. Then they took all the Hitler away. They took all the history out, and I got ice road truckers, and maybe it was aliens. I got one that's worse, man. Wor worse than aliens made it? <laughs> How do I put this mildly? No channel has degraded more than TLC. Oh! oh yeah. Those letters TLC. don't stand Single for Single favorite channel in the world until 2003. Oh. Maya the Mighty has fallen. You have got... Yes, Chris. All right. You... Oh, well, I mean, yeah, TLC, yeah. 
MTV used to be about music videos. Uh, it's completely different now. Um, oh I remember when the I remember when the Sci-Fi Channel started back in like probably ninety. I think it was ninety, maybe like ninety, ninety-one. I can't I quite remember. I think it was ninety-two but, actually. But was it? I just all I remember was hearing about it, and seeing previews on it, like in our local cable. Like, oh, what is this Sci-Fi Channel? This is going to be exciting because again, this is pretty much pre-internet. You know, it's like you maybe you had a friend who had a dial-up. Maybe, maybe. You know, yeah. it wasn't so. Pro- you could just. You could just Go to Google and click and find out everything instantaneously back then. Everything was so rumor and hearsays. You, you know, had to uh, hop on your local BBS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, it was a very different time. What? I mean, what? I'm sorry, Will. What do fat chicks have to do with... Um... Uh... Good Lord. That will be next to- week's topic. Okay, so Scott's done with his number three. Chris, number three, please. <laughs> okay, for number three, I decided to do something a little different, much like my associate William. Just one sec. The next one on the list will be a movie dating back to 1939. Whoa! Peace on Earth. Peace Basically, on Earth. It starts, it is a Christmas story. A lot of cute little animals going around, showing care, goodwill to Ben. And they go to this wise old creature, for lack of a better term, and he tells them about the time before man. It does basically flashbacks to World War I in all of its exquisite detail, in kind of a red and black motif, and then goes back to the cute animals. It is a short story, a short film, and they even updated it after that in 1955 where they decided to add nukes. So it is not a, you know, I wouldn't say it's the best film I've ever seen, but for its time and place, it is bloody original, and it puts the seal on things that animation is for kids. <laughs> and only for kids. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of, um, it was in uh, Epic Magazine, there was a story, like, uh, you know what I'm going with, Will, I can't remember the title of it, but it was basically, uh, there was this viral disease that was killing off population and the only way for humanity to survive was to basically crossbreed us with animals. It was the only way because it was like had, we had to like uh, change our DNA structure. It was the only way they were going to survive. So basically it's years and years down the road and everybody's kind of um, like dog and cat and you know all these like you know um, the, bad guys, the bad guys were apes. I believe so, but they're well, all like... The, when I remember the story, the bad guys were all apes, and they were, since they were closest to mankind, they were the most evil. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of reminds me of that, you know, uh, that's that, there. It was, it was one of those stories that was done with kind of looked like pictures, but they, they kind of drew over them or something. Uh, so, almost, yeah, like, almost like still rotoscoping, like it was photo photographic. Photoscoped, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I remember that. Okay, cool. Uh, so, um, where, where, you know any more about that film? Because I've never heard of that before. So. Oh, it's actually, it's to be honest with you, it is kind of on the short side. It's only about nine minutes. It barely qualifies oh. as a film. That being said, I think it's absolutely brilliant for what it produced during that period here. Because basically, they did one of the original songs. They did it to the tune of "Hark the Herald Angels Sing," which is a real contrast to the in between. Like, all the different animals have literally built their civilization in the remains of the human beings from World War One. Like, they've reconverted some of the helmets into freaking houses and stuff like that. 
It's mm. just so disturbing. Yeah, I remember that. I, I do remember that now. Yeah, yeah they, the grandfather squirrel is the one that tells the story, and it's actually kind of, well, yeah. And it's got a, an amazing pedigree. The two voice actors are Mel Blanc as the wise old Grandpa Squirrel and Dawes Butler as the young squirrel. It was uh, produced and directed by Hugh Harmon, William Hanna, and Joe Barbera. Mm-hmm. Ah! Oh, we got a Barbera in there. Cool. Absolutely. Yep. Personally, I think it's hilarious. It's probably one of MGM's most interesting films here, to the point where I don't think they ever showed it since until they actually showed it many years later there. You know, it was one of those things because literally it happened on the eve of World War Two. Yeah, the, 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 that message is not the message you need to have when it's time to go stomp some Nazis. Nazi stomping comes first. Absolutely. Well, you know, otherwise, maybe. <laughs> otherwise, that story will be will they sit around and have old blonde grandpa tell them about the time when they were Jews? You know, and Untermenschen and how we fixed all that. You know. We're, how many? Where are the Slavs? Yeah, 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 Poppy. Tell us about the Slavs. How many? How many uh, tales did they have? Yeah, who's who's watching Man in the High Castle? Oh, anybody out I here? Haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's on my short list for the next round once my schedule clears up for sure. Yeah, can't let Nazis win. Important lesson, kids. Dude, DJ no. Blazovich, do us proud. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. The so awesome, good, uh, good choice there, uh, Chris. As I said I wasn't even when you talked about it. it kind of reminded me, like maybe I've seen bits of that before with the helmets and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, so I probably have. So no, I'm pretty my... sure you can find it on YouTube with relative ease. But uh, yeah. Oh we'll yeah, see. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, my number three, the 1990 Tom Savini remake of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, nice. Is my top. How, how do you how do you pick that over George? How do you how do you go there, sir? Uh, well, um, I just think it was a better. I think it was done better. I just I don't know why. Uh, I think I think Savini was a better director. Um, um, it was I guess maybe also it was a little more maybe it was a little more contemporary, you know, because you know in the original Night of Living Dead, all the characters were very uh, you know Grecian. Almost, you know, you know what I mean. Like, you know how the woman was. Oh, she can't talk, and she's so faint. You know, they were very, you know, they were archetypes. You know, okay. in those characters. These are a little more contemporary. Um, you know, and of course, you know, um, all, all that. You know, the um, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Um, who played Ben? That was um, the original Ben, Tony, or you mean the I, second John Ben? Uh, Tony Todd. Yeah, you know, did a great job as Ben. Again, it's the same film. He does change some stuff around uh, in the film, and he also it was key was he used your knowledge of the original film to trick you. You know, so like you expect something to happen, it didn't quite happen the way it, it was supposed to happen. So I know I just thought it was I thought it was the pacing was better. I, I you know I thought I thought the cinematography was better, um, and part of the reason. That that film really was impactful for me is because that movie came out in uh, <clears throat> the fall of 1990. When I saw it, I was in Gainesville because me and a few of my buddies went up to Gainesville to visit my friend Charlie for Gator Growl. What was going on in Gainesville in 1990? It's the Ripper. The Gainesville, the Gainesville yep. murders were going on, still going on Ooh. at the time. Mm. So. Um, the tension was palatable in the air. 
uh, in that city. You know, you could feel it. But people still went partying and still this stuff, but you could just feel the tension, you know, uh, in that city, what was going on. So not a, Let's remind people, it's not a big city. It's it's yeah. what you know. You throw in all uh, all the outliers in the in in the county. You're what what hundred thousand people tops, maybe. Maybe. Depending this, on what time of, what time of year it is when the students are there. There's yeah, no this students. is this is the fall of 1990. So see, it was you know schools back in, you know uh, Gator Grau, which was their homecoming, uh, was yeah. going on. So maybe a hundred thousand people are packed into the city at that time. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and people were scared, and you could feel it, and so. You had that tension was in the air, so we went out to the movies. Uh, we went out to the movie to see the Night of, oh, Night of the Living Dead. We went to see it. There was uh, me, me, Chuck, Slim, Tony, Paul. There was five, the five of us went to the film. There might have been three other people in the theater. The Fab that's Five. That's it. That that's all that was there. So there really wasn't anybody out in the theater. So we're we're watching this horror film, you know, with zombies during the time that all this tension, these murders are going on, so it's really, it really amplified, I think, you know, how we felt about the film. You know, the scares, because, like, we had the scared in the air. It, it, I know, it, it just made something more out of it, so it was very memorable to me. Even back when we, we got back to the house, you know, his apartment, like, oh, well, the zombies came, we're, we're all making our plans, like, they have these open wood stairs, we'll take the stairs out, we were planning, you know, how to do everything. Uh, so it was just very memorable for me, but like I said, I think it was better. I, I just I don't know. I just think it was uh, better done than the original. Uh, you know, not to discredit the original because you know the the original. The original is charming because it's kind of amateurish. You know, yeah. and it, well, and it and it, it changed. It it set the precedence for the genre. It changed. It created basically a new genre. This zombie did, uh, genre did not exist prior to that movie. Yeah, and I also want to point out that. Uh, Savini sticks with the theme that I think is important in zombie films, and that is they do not have to run to be a problem. Nope. The zombie that you know, he made the point that that that, that you know a really good point that I think it's lost in the uh, in our sprinting zombie films is that um, it's not the zombie problem that's going to get us; it's our failure to, as human to, beings that is going to get us. Yes, what that guy with the headphones said, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It totally. That is the sign of a good zombie film. Is that it's not the zombies that are the problem. It's the people that are the problem. You know, the zombies are if the zombies are meant to be a background. You know, so this film did that well. It extended a little bit more past the original uh, concept. Added some more stuff, but you really kind of because you don't really see if it how much farther it went. You know, after that, but basically, yeah. you know, but it was going down. It just it, it was you know very. Localized at the time, you know, you know, the local cities were going down. You know, they're 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 going around, they're rallying, they're killing them off. But you don't know what's gonna what's gonna ultimately happen as you. That's when he went to dawn because the problem got bigger and bigger and bigger. The problem didn't go away. You know, maybe locally they helped solve the problem, but it just kept on getting bigger. But again, Night of the Living Dead, 1990, Tom Savini. That's my top three pick. Again, I think it's if you haven't if you haven't seen it, and some people think it's blasphemy that. You know, how can you like the the remake better? I think it's a better film, personally. Uh, right. so, so that's my top three. Uh, uh, so we are down to number two. Will, give us your number two. My number two is Six String Samurai. Excellent. excellent oh, man. Job. Bravo. Yeah, excellent pick, sir. Oh, 
it's just great. It's got like nineteen. It's got nineteen fifty stuff. It's got rock and roll. It's got Cold War tensions. It's got references to Elvis and Buddy Holly and all these great you know people in the history of rock and roll. Uh, it's got a quest. It's got you know just freaky imagery. Uh, and it's, it's it's a completely independent film. They shot the whole thing on expired film stock they stole from a dumpster. God bless America. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of perfect. And it's so great. And like, it's just, yeah, and it's just got a it's just got a great premise that at some point there was a nuclear war between America and Russia and America lost uh, and America is now a wasteland ruled by uh, little Russian like enclaves that have moved in and set up military bases, but they're all like bumbling incompetence. They're not all that threatening because they don't want to be in the wasteland either. They've got these outrageous Russian accents. Uh, well, they've all, they've oh, and actually, all the music's done by the Ukrainian surf. Oh yeah, the music's done by a Ukrainian surf rock group who has a cameo in the film, the Red Elvises. Yes, they do, mm -hmm. and um, I would I would like to point out that it looks like the the Russians look like they're abandoned. <laughs> you know, they look like they've just been dumped in America. Like, you know, they put them on boats, drove them over, dumped them off, and went, "Okay, we won. Uh, we'll be back." You know, with some supplies. Bye, and then called it good and just left them there. Um, Being an occupied force sucks. Yeah, um, all the crazy and all the crazy mutant factions. Are just brilliant in that film with the the bowling team with the blades and the and the pins and the the um, the cavemen. The nuclear like, family. Hey, the nuclear family, cannibalistic nuclear family. The the cavemen with the tow truck. Like he, de he defeated my best bowlers. You know, it's a, it's such a great film. Um, what's the what are the what do they call the people who come out of the out of the ground? The windmill people or the the turbine people. They got this, oh, the weird yeah, yeah. the weird environment suits and they're living down underground in these. You know what I'm talking about? It might have just been yeah. like the people of the wind or something. Yeah, I feel I like it might have just been like the wind people or, or something like that. Yeah, there's something about the the turbines. They use the area around some wind turbines as their stocking ground or something like that. And just um, you know, this is great. This 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 music who looks like Buddy Holly who keeps a katana in his guitar case and is slashing his way towards the city of Las Vegas. You know, I... The I, last I'm, free city in America. Ruled by... The King. That's right. Who has at last died, and so all these samurai musicians are trying to go there to be crowned the next king. Possibly face down in some shag rug in front of a toilet. Yeah. Um, my... The only thing I ever had a gripe about this film was, and I... Is I I was never entertained by death being after the 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 six things samurai that his opponent is 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 death that uh, I realize that that's supposed to be some sort of you know uh, epic kind of um, Joseph Campbell hero quest kind of thing uh, and I kind of understand that but because the villain the the, the opponent was death and his two deathy minions. Uh, they they never had the bite that so many of the other interesting factions had. You know, I thought the other you know if they had given him some kind of personality other than well he's death he wears a top hat he looks like Slash only he's death uh, I would have been I would have been happy est I was happy don't get me wrong 
But if that is that is my only complaint that I can mine from the entire movie. Well, Death Rep was representing, you know, the future heavy metal music, whereas he represented the old music, you know. There's a, a, there a lot of theme to it. You, you're right. You're absolutely right, sir. I'm not going to disagree. It was, you know, and also, you know, the film, you know, if you didn't mention, was filmed, uh, had a $2 million budget. That was it, you know, so that's pretty uh, pretty small. And it only made the box office, what I just read. It was only like... Um, they only made like 124000 in the theaters. Oh, my. Well, one of those dollars was mine because I went and saw it in the theater. My friend Val Hardeman dragged me to see it when I first got to Seattle in like 98 and said, we're going to see this movie. And boom, we're, there we were in, in I want to say the Neptune, maybe, or the Varsity up in the U District watching Six Dream Samurai. Yeah, that was, that was like my first couple of months in Seattle. Pretty much set the tone. Oh, and actually, here's a, a fun bit of trivia, and I've been trying to track these down. Awesome Comics released a six-string samurai comic book that I believe ran for six issues. <laughs> oh, nice. And it, had, and it had an excellent soundtrack as well. Oh, yeah. Oh. The, red, the Red Elvis is Deliver. It was a very uh, good soundtrack to there, too. Yeah, classic film. Again, very, you know, it was very... Fantasy, you know, action comedy. Uh, again, classic film. I remember Scott told me about the film probably back in. Oh God, when was that? Uh, two thousand one, two thousand two tops. Yeah, it was maybe it was like maybe like two thousand one, or is it? I'm trying to. Or was it later? So I can't remember. It was the first time I had my first roommate or my second roommate? Because basically, I moved in. Got cable, you know, got turned on the cable, and they had, like, you know, an on-demand kind of thing, whatever, and, like, Six-String six, six Samurai was on, Time of the Wolf was on, like, all these free movies. I'm like, it was like a post-apocalyptic fest. This is, like, this is like almost 15 years ago, or, or it might have been something like that. But, uh, yeah, Six-String Samurai is a good, good choice there. That was, that was definitely on my list there to, to choose, you know, definitely in my definitely in my honorable mentions, or might be in the top ten, you know, if we go back a little bit further. So, uh, alright, thank you, Will. So let's move on to Scott. What is your numero two? Let me just say this. Beware the beast man, for he is the devil's pawn. Alone among God's primates he kills for sport, or lust, or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land. Let him not breed in great numbers, for he will make a desert of his home and yours. Shun him. Drive him back into his jungle lair, for he is the harbinger of death. So wait, saith wait. the sacred scrolls. What is, what is that, from the last Republican debate? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, uh, that is Planet of the Apes. I'm going to go ahead and throw Planet of the Apes out as my number two favorite post-apocalyptic movie. Um, we've taught, we've gone ape on this show before. There's not much more to say about it. Um, it, uh, it, it, it certainly, it's one of those films that stands out and that Charlton Heston felt, um, justified in blaspheming during the, in, in the last line of the script. You know, um... He, uh, he, he felt that uh, that was a, the line was not blasphemy but literal. God damn them all to hell. He was very, yep, 
Cornelius is back over here with Mr. Thrasher. Um, I, I, I gotta say, no, that that stands out as a number two, as a great example of you know, you should be able to see it coming, kids. The train is coming. All the signs that a train is there is is on the way, uh, and yet you don't get out of the way in time until you meet Lady Liberty. Actually, yeah. That's uh, all I gotta we, say about that. Yeah, we we did uh, we did uh, the Planet of the Apes movies at length. Folks, so if you want to hear more about Planet of the Apes, go back to uh, go back to the archives. Uh, the show is called Going Ape. Uh, so we talk. We do we have Going Ape? Yeah, I think we might have. I think we said we you know podcast at Ground Zero goes ape. Uh, I, I don't think I have to specify it's the 1968 Planet of the Apes and not Tim Burton's you know atrocity afterbirth. No. What? What? <laughs> um, it's uh, it's Chuck Heston. It's um. Roddy McDowell, it's those guys. How, oh, how, how, how dare you dish Marky Mark, okay? <laughs> and Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yes, and Paul Giamatti. Yes, uh, at, folks. Uh, going, can't we all just get along? <laughs> I'm not saying that I didn't want to see, uh, you know, um, what's her name, Mrs. Tim Burton dressed as, you know, uh, Sexy Zira, but... That doesn't matter. I mean, Rick Baker did lovely, lovely effects for it, but it was poop. It was all the poop that ever pooped a poop. It's terrible. Even Chuck Heston's cameo can't elevate that film out of the out of its uh, its its soullessness. It's absolute and total soullessness. Um, meanwhile, Rod Serling's script punches you in the balls. Mm. And when I saw it on 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 the CBS late night movie on commercial mm -hmm. television at age eight, you know, uh, it was like getting punched in the balls. It was it was a jaw dropping, horrifying, blood pressure dropping experience to know that yeah, this is it. This is our future. This is the future we made. Congratulations, you know. Oh yeah. You know, there was so that was very good. That, that whole well, again, we we talked about this. You know, again, episode twenty-eight, folks, going ape. Yeah, in the seventies, I remember the TV show. I had the little ape treehouse thing, like the the, the big Mego ape dolls, because I was a little bit younger. So I had all that crap, you know. So uh, that's you mention, that, sorry. Go ahead. I should mention the TV show, but it was interesting. I just recently saw, actually, because of your podcast, Genesis Two, which was the one competing with the TV show at the time, and it was mm -hmm. kind of watching a comparison and a contrast. Mm -hmm. Even though one used mutant and one used Ape, so they basically had the same story arc. Mm. Yep. <coughs> you, you've gone back and watched some of the old shows, Chris? Uh, occasionally. I, I, I always my fantasy before Gamma World show before Gamma World turned up to change my you know inform my post-apocalypse. I always imagined that uh, Terrania and Pax were just the other side of America from Ape City. I mean. Uh Ape City is clearly near New York City, right? And then the mutants are there under New York with their bomb and their worshiping the bomb. And that, so somewhere out in, um, I guess it's NORAD or, no, it's Carlsberg Caverns in New Mexico is where PAX is. And um, wherever Terrania is, you know, that's out in the Midwest someplace. What was the thing that they said about Arizona, Jared, that they drop in... Um, uh, in Genesis 2 where you're like, no, stop the stop the hyper shuttle. Let's get off and see what's in Arizona. Because they just oh, shoot. 
Oh, there's like the city, like they're like because they're all like oh, cannibals or something, if I remember correctly. Or... They say something cool like, "Oh, there's some cool shit we're not going to show you, but it's in the script." And I just remember you saying, "God damn it, stop the 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 the, the, the underground oh, shuttle! Yeah. I want to get off and see the the city of war, you know, the warlords, the cannibals, or whatever it is." You oh yeah, it was like the warlords or something. And it's just like, "Come on, show us, please!" Oh. Uh. So yeah, but that that that's a good mashup uh, fanfic you got there, uh, Scott. You know, yes, I'm, 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 I'm cool. Oh, I got one for you guys. Please. Left for ape. The virus that gets the bird smart also animates zombies. Apes versus zombies. <laughs> Think about it. All right. All right. As that, as, that. as the show spirals out of control. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So so thank you, Scott. I, I, yeah, like I said, you know. Planet of the Apes is a solid pick. You know that would definitely be if we did top ten. That would be in my top ten. Mr. Constantine, you're next. Last week, so Chris. Okay, I'm going to switch back to a much more contemporary movie in 2008. It was done by Pixar, and I'm sure everybody here knows what it is. Wall-E. Wall-E is basically the aftermath of an apocalypse based on garbage, where the main character is the silent protagonist for most, pretty much all the film. He only can say a single word. And it's interesting watching the humans who basically become <coughs> blubber butts in, in chairs for all intents and purposes because they can't do anything anymore because they're basically been taken over by computers to the point where they're not allowed to land back on the Earth because the computer doesn't want them to do so. Otherwise, oh. it would no longer fulfill its function. And also, yeah. it's kind of fun how they made the female the, the kill bot. <laughs> yes. And okay, it has a lot of emotion, a lot of heart, great cinematography... And, of course, it's done to the high. It's, you know, it's gender the heyday of Pixar's awesome storytelling. And also it's kind of fun just watching and collect all that crazy crap that you know we'd be doing if we were in the apocalypse and trying to figure out <laughs> what the hell we're going to do with this, that, and the other thing. So I thought... Sorry, go on. Oh, I was saying the other thing I love about that movie is that Wally, at the beginning of the movie, you find out Wally does what I would do with the apocalypse. Find old VHSs and stay up all night watching them. <laughs> yep. You don't have to look for food or water. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, hoarding in the apocalypse. You ever notice when people, you know, which is actually going to lead into my number one pick as well. Um, there's a lot of hoarding in the apocalypse. When things go down, people like use it as one of the first things they showed in in, 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 a, in a preview clip for that. You know, Last Man on Earth is the guy just goes into museums and picks out the Degas or the Picasso that he likes and takes it back to his double wine. You know, because you know, he's not going to use it as a as a breakfast tray because who cares, right? I can now eat off the day gone. The uh, the the humans in uh, Wally kind of reminded me a little bit of the um, the League of Fatties from uh, 2000 AD, almost a little bit. You know, yeah. a little vaguely, you know, for different reasons. But just kind of remember, like they basically have like these little cart things to move them around because they're so big. It just it reminds me of that a little bit. Because you know, 2080 is very was very heavily inf influential in my multiple visions of the apocalypse back then. You know, because of a lot of the stories from Judge Dredd, the Cursed Earth. You know, you know the apocalypse war of the Soviets, uh, Stronium Dog. 2080 heavily influenced my young mind apocalypse uh, Mr. back then. Mr. Constantine, I got a question for you about Wall, and really a question for the whole team. Okay. Um, I was almost disappointed when the humans showed up. I mean, yeah. I I, I kind of wanted this to be a story about a guy who's he's got this function to 
cube garbage, but maybe he's still doing it because that, that was his general programming. But then he has, you know, on his off hours, he goes off and he does the things that he does, you know, because he's just, you know, maybe. Don't even sort of, know. Yeah. Circuitry, uh, anyway. Yeah, he's, he's developing some sort of, uh, since he's been doing his job for so long, he's developing some sort of sense of artificial intelligence or whatever. But the introduction of the humans, it was almost a letdown. I kind of wanted to just see what kind of a world our two robots would build for the for themselves now that we've got, all of us are out of the way, you know, and aren't there, they aren't there telling them what to do, that they get to, you know, build their own path. Mm-hmm. To be literally a life after people, ultimately. And that was actually what's so interesting about that, is they had this, such a panoramic view of nothing. Just <laughs> one little butt trying to basically pick away at the ocean with a, with a glass. Yeah. Yeah, his, his, his task before him is, is completely unachievable. You know, and, 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 but at the same time, um, you know, he's still doing it because that was his function. That's what he's for. Uh, I, I, again, I just I, the, the inclusion of the inclusion of the people is a nice happy ending, I suppose. But um, you know, there's sometimes where maybe even Planet of the Apes is informing where we don't deserve a happy ending. <laughs> you well, know? Dude, the humans sucked in that movie when you think about it. They yeah, weren't really evil, but they were blubber butts. They were high maintenance. Mm-hmm. They didn't really do anything ultimately. They didn't seem and... to produce anything or make anything or achieve anything. They just waited. Yeah. Basically, the computers did all the work, which ultimately is why they ended up, I guess, empowering themselves by lying back on the planet at gunpoint for all intents and purposes. Yeah. You know, that's... Uh, I just don't want to see a Wally 2 for that very reason, because honestly, <laughs> the first part was the better part. Well, they're not, there isn't one in development, is there? I hope not, because I've already seen them trying to make sequels for Cars. Cars, I tell you. <laughs> I can't. How many sequels do we have to put up with for, for Cars and not get a sequel to Incredibles? Well, there is a sequel to Incredibles in development. However. I know, I know. Finally, but, uh, but we had the, there's, we there's had... one sequel to Cars. Pixar has nothing to do with the Planes movies. Oh, right. if you notice, it's Pixar's Cars, Disney's Planes. Pixar didn't uh, want to have anything. To do with it. All right. Well, okay, Pixar. You still got the Cars sequel before you got to Incredibles, so. And it kind of remi- and it kind of reminds me of what Chris is talking about with um, with the ro- you guys are talking about with, with the robot just the repetitive task of you know like you said by kind of just picking up because that's its job after we're all gone it's just continue it's continuing to do the job that we told it to do after we're gone it kind of reminds me of that short film I posted on the blog a while back about um, oh, I can't remember what it's called now I'll have to look it up but it. Uh, has the 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 two fi- the, the fighter bomber and the fighter plane like it continued like you find out that you know the bombers the it's their the machines are still fighting the war because the humans are dead they're all gone yeah it's, it's skeletons in in the cockpit in the, the cockpits and it's just dropping the bombs the fighter planes attacking it's like okay bombs are empty they go back to reload and just keep on they just keep on like nuking and nuking and nuking because that was their program to do you know, so kind of that what you said. It's like do, still doing the job it was supposed to do, even though we're all gone. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, well, so. that's I want to say that's an East European film, the one with the bomber. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll look it up uh, when we get to our, our number one round. So I have time. What's your What's your number two, Mr. Wallace? Oh, that's a tough decision. Um, they both have the word "road" in them, 
Uh, but I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> number one, number one and number two both have the word Ronim. I'm not sure which one I want to go with, so I'm just going to pick one of them because okay. they're, because they're kind of interchangeable. Is I'm going to go with I'm going to go with number two. Uh, I'm going to put uh, I'm going to go with Road Warrior, the Road Warrior Mad Max two for number two. Okay, good reason. Um, it could also be a number one depending on my mood. Uh, but we're going to go with number two. Uh, we've talked about the Road Warrior at length, um, so we're not, I'm not going to go too deep into it. But again, it was a seminal film. It set the standard, set the bar for a lot of post-apocalyptic films afterwards. It was, I think, it was more imitated probably than anything out there. You know, with the the cars and the desert and the buttless chaps and, you know, the leather and the mohawks and the war paint and... Um, the, the only exception would be Star Wars. Star Wars would be the only thing that's been more copied and more um, ripped off for its look and its feel. Yeah. But it's cheaper to make post-apocalypse. Yes. So we are, there's there's tons of that all over the world. Oh, yeah, all you, have to do, all you have to do is get some used football gear and some black spray paint and you are good to go. Uh, make it a post-apocalyptic film. But like I said, I saw that originally in the theaters. That, that came out in uh, 82, correct? Uh, uh, so I think it was 82. Where's it 81? That might have been 81. Well, that's the Australian release. I don't know when it hit the, when it hit the theaters over here, but I was, in, I was in high school, and I had, be, uh, I had to get an fact, adult. I had to get an adult. It's going to be fact-checked for that me because I remember seeing... 1981. Uh, thank All you. Right. So, thank you. So I was 12 when that came out. Saw so in the theaters... Because uh, I, like you, Scott, was a freaking, you know, uh, genetic giant. So, you know, I, I was, I, I think I, at 12, I was probably almost six foot, uh, you know, when I was 12. So, and also back in 82, 81, they didn't really care. They didn't check. You go into a rated R movie. I did, I did not. I went, I bought tickets and went in myself. Um, but I just remember seeing the commercials for it. Like, oh, I got to see this movie, you know, and just... Wow, seeing that film in the theaters, 12 years old, it was amazing. Like I said, the, what really I loved about that film was just the opening. The prologue was a, the smoke, and then when they're showing the smoke and they're finishing the prologue, you're seeing the ground, you're high, and you're seeing the ground slowly come up faster, 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 boom! And bam, you hear it, you're on the road, you're seeing the front of the car, you're hearing the roar of the engine, you're seeing the blower going, oh my god, <laughs> when that hit, um, hold on. That, that, uh, I was coughing, man. I can't. No. Conniption. He's having. He's overheated. He's talking about Road Warrior too much. Uh, I'm foaming at the good. mouth. I'm, oh, Road <laughs> Warrior. Um, Quick, get your dog. <laughs> just that. Um, that opening sequence was just like, wow, to me, a 12-year-old that was powerful, who loved the apocalypse, just that film, it, said, it says that it set a lot of standards, you know, it was, like I said, minimalistic, but it was basic, but it was just such a powerful thing, and it really just, I think, just set, set the apocalypse, uh, you know, for me. It was, just, it was just a great film, like I said. Uh, we could talk more about it, but we're not going to. Episode, um, let's see. Mad Max, that was episode 11, the man we called Max. Okay, so we talk about Mad Max a whole lot so we could find out why we really liked that film. But again, I think that was just, that's going to be my top two, uh, my number two film for um, uh, for this list here. So, Mr. Thrasher, uh, Mr. Thrasher, you're number on one. deck. 
Well, my my number one, and I've got to agree with you, Scott. My number one is Planet of the Apes. It is a phenomenal film in its own right. It hits all the right post-apocalyptic buttons, and it's about something. It's not it's not just there to be entertaining. There's a, a points. There's many points that this movie is desperately trying to make. Agreed. Oh yeah. Agreed. Oh yeah, well written messages all over the place. It was definitely uh, like, like Scott had talked about. We talked about it already. You know, not to steal your thunder, uh, you know, Will, but we we did talk about. It, but it's just it, that's a good, that's an excellent, excellent choice for a number one. It's a classic film. If anybody who's watching the show has not seen Planet of the Apes, uh, shame on you. Yeah, shame. Main reason I went for animated, I knew that would be my well, would be in the top five for sure. We'd just <laughs> yeah. be repeating the same movies over and over again. Yeah, a friend of mine was recently. Uh, a friend of mine works at a, a game company out here called um, Hairbrain Schemes. Was doing some company event with people half his age, and 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 there was suddenly a show of hands of people who hadn't seen Die Hard, and from somebody from our you know late forties generation, where I was like, you haven't seen. Die Hard? What? The, what the hell? Not you don't it, the greatest Christmas movie ever made, you know. But apparently they hadn't, and I'm sure there are people out there who are going to tell you, Planet of the Apes, you know. Well, who cares? Uh, I don't believe those special effects. They're not digital, you know. Uh, that I'm Tim sure Burton that movie. It's gonna be, yeah, yeah. Or it, it, referred as a musical. Yeah. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Yeah, I'm. I would have. I would have been okay with that. I'm. I'm sorry. I would have been. I think we would all have been pretty good with that. You'll never make a monkey out of me. I would watch a whole stage musical of that. I really would. Well, they did Evil Dead the musical. And it and I've seen it and it was good. So if they oh could do, they could if they could do Evil Dead. Did you see it live, Will? On stage? Yes, yes, I did. I very covered in blood. Excellent. So if they could do Evil Dead the musical, they could do Planet of the Apes the musical. All right, so we all got to start working on that. So, um, uh, so Planet of the Apes. Uh, Scott, let's let's go to Scott. Let's let's get Scott's number one. My number one post-apocalyptic movie, and it, and it covers a couple things we mentioned here. One was the unevenly distributed apocalypse, and the number two was apocalyptic hoarding, uh, is Children of Men. Oh, um, nice. I am completely blown away by Children of Men. Yeah, you could say it's a dystopia because you're in the one lifeboat that hasn't been swamped yet, but, you know, England is precariously bound. The apocalypse of Children of Men has happened. Almost 20 years ago, people stopped having children. That's it. You know, uh, we are officially doomed. Uh, and every morning when we get up, we can see that we're a little bit more doomed. Every time our bones ache, every time we see a little more gray in our hair, there's no way to fix this. You know, there's going to be nobody left to help us, you know, help us clean our bedpans. Uh, we're done. And um, uh, it's this, uh, this, this vision of the world in chaos as everybody is. Apparently the entire world is rushing to get their last licks in on the people they don't like. I mean, there's sort of this impression that they're going to settle 
who stole Omar's goat once and for all in every corner of the world and everybody is just polishing off everybody they can get their hands on since there's no future, you know, and um, England is this is this last sort of fascist uh, lifeboat in a world that has been swamped by chaos and crisis and nightmare and it is spiraling out of control and fixing the world is beyond everybody's capacity and a little bit beyond everybody's interest. Like, everyone's just giving the fuck up, you know. Uh, so it's a, it's a brilliant vision of a world dying. Uh, it is both the apocalypse has happened, that is a boom, no more births, but then you're also seeing the, you're in the middle of the spiral. You're in the middle of the spiral out of control as, as everything falls apart. And um, uh, there's that moment where they they go into the Battery Sea uh, Battersea Park, is it? The big uh, 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 discontinued Victorian uh, electrical oh, yeah. plant that was used on the cover of, of uh, Pink Floyd's Animals, which yep. has been turned into the Ark of the Arts, which is funny because one of those places has been turned into an art museum. Um, there's another, there is one of these old Victorian power plants down on the Thames that has been turned into a, a art museum. It's not that one. Uh, I guess it's Battersea. Um, but, you know, they've even got the Pink Floyd <laughs> big balloon floating outside while the interior of the place is stuffed with things like looted art treasures from around the world as the world has fallen to pieces. Whatever is running England has apparently, like, I don't know, flown in the commandos to rescue things like Picasso's Guernica or Michelangelo's David uh, from their museums before they're snuffed out by whatever junior varsity ISIS or Daesh is currently rampaging through that neck of the woods where, you know, oh, look, it's Michelangelo's David. Uh, let's smash it so I can be the guy who smashed Michelangelo's David. That will be my contribution to history is I broke something important. You know, that's the world we're faced with in that movie, and uh, it's uh, it's super bleak. It's super well shot, brilliant cinematography, and uh, savage, absolutely savage film. Oh yeah, because when you have nothing left to lose, you know, you see what what people will do. Because like you said, I want to be the guy who smashed, uh, you know. Uh, Michael, you know, Michelangelo's David. Well, you know what? It's not going to matter. You know, in that world, it won't matter in 50 years because there's going to be very, very few people left. It's like yeah. who cares? Because that's it. You know, and it and it all doesn't make any sense. It's like you know, it's like the world's going crazy. Like you know, in that film, it's like let's hoard all this stuff. Let's do this. Let's do that. Why? It doesn't yeah. matter. You're not leaving it for anybody. We're all going to be gone. There's going to be nothing. Why bother? You know, yeah. and I guess that I guess that's the theme of it. Why bother? Like a lot of people, like don't they don't they do like these kind of uh, isn't there like advertisements for like you know su assisted suicide all uh, throughout? The, yes, the yes. There's a there's a product of uh, uh, from the government called Quietus or Quietus. I think it, it, it's the but, but it's yes. It's like choose your time the way you want to. You know, <laughs> choose Quietus and. But, you know, it shows the guy getting out of his chair and walking into the sunset, you know, on the commercial. I'm just, yeah, it's like those um, government termination lounges. Soylent Green. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, like Soylent Green. Actually, I was going to go back to Robert W. Chambers 
in the repair of reputations is an old King and Yellow story. There's oh, mention of the uh, there's mention of the uh, the government sponsored um, uh, uh, suicide lounges or what do I call them? It's like termination they were like, lounges. They were like they had a really pleasant name for what they did. It was called like a public service station, I think. Yeah, but the something. public service was if you didn't want to live anymore, it would end you. Yeah, it was a salon. I want to say it was something like you know. Uh, a euthanasia salon, you know. Um, <clears throat> uh, so yeah, yeah, that that aspect's super disturbing. Um, you know, there's that thing where he meets his uh, his high profile cousin who's just popping um, Xanax, you know, constantly. Uh, where he's just you know, oh everything's fine, everything's great, you know, because he's completely uh, numbed to the reality and doesn't look beyond the, maybe the next couple of hours of his life, you know, because that's all he's got. So he just lives in the lives in the moment. Uh, I, I, I uh, give uh, that one uh, 10 out of 10 as far as being a spectacular apocalypse. And that thing where there's the uprising and the fight in the uh, refugee camp, um, I, I have not seen my, uh, many more bits of post-apocalyptic combat that were more savage and nihilistic and pointless. You know what I mean? Where they're just, you know, what's the fucking point at this stage? But, you know, uh, everyone, nobody wants to just go out pooping in a bag because uh, they're old and toothless. They, everyone, you know, they're wrapped up in, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. It's the only thing they have left. Are, are, are they like his uh, limo driver, rough and toothless? <laughs> um. So yeah, you, that's, uh, you have my gratitude. If I you have my gratitude. You have my gratitude. I wish I yeah. had that as an answering machine message. <laughs> so that that is a very very strong number one. It, that is a very bleak bleak uh, film. Uh, but I might be able to, I might be able to beat the bleakness there. Uh, so we're gonna move on to Chris. Chris, give okay. us your number one. I it took me a lot of time to actually figure out what I wanted for number one. I picked this one specifically because I think I wanted to go for something a little happier between Children of Men <laughs> and yours at this point. Well, um, it wasn't. It wasn't like we dropped like Planet of the Apes was happy, and then we dropped down I know. Children of Men. Exactly. I know. We, we we weren't we weren't elated, and all of a sudden now we're like, oh, they're so depressing, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I guess maybe the apes got a bit of have a lighter mood, so to speak. Okay, my number one choice is Appleseed. Appleseed is actually a series of movies, actually. Uh, most recent, the one that they ended up doing originally was actually an OVA series in the 80s. And, but they ended up doing a release done using CGI in 2004, followed by a sequel called Appleseed X Machine, uh, Deus X. And they also did a prequel movie that just came out a couple of years ago. Basically, it takes place after the global war. Essentially, you know, uh, the Earth has become essentially a scrapyard for all sorts of purposes. What little life left is not much anymore here. But it's based around a female protagonist, Desmond Newt, and reuniting with her significant other, Barasa Herkonaichis, who is now, after a love relationship, has become a full conversion cyborg. Which definitely puts things and makes things complicated, to put it mildly. They are rescued from the hell-torn, you know, Earth, and brought into a Olympus, which is a utopian city in the clouds. 
but made of high-tech material. And ultimately, the warring factions end up acting as a comparison and contrast because the bioroids are basically slowly but surely taking over the city and they're using it to sterilize humans to make the bioroids the new rulers of Earth. And it's only through the combination of our heroes that they ultimately take it down in the first movie. Beautiful movie, very well executed, very interesting, and a bit of an original spin, all things considered. You know, I'm really impressed by it. And more importantly, it's one of the few series I found that actually had an actual movie, because I could name about a handful of anime-based movies, TV, you know, series, that I would consider better. But they were series, not movies. Yeah. So. Yeah, like I, I'm familiar with that with Appleseed. I know it because you know that that because when did you say that first came when that first movie came out? Um, Basically, it was back in the '80s. Uh, I'm just yeah, taking a look at the official title here, but it's actually an OVA series, 1988. Yeah, I remember. I remember the the early days of anime. Well, at least in America, you know, anime was been around forever there. But when it first, I remember when it first started coming over, and it was you know it was subtitled. It wasn't dubbed yet. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it was and it was hard to find. You know, back then. So, but I remember. I never saw Appleseed, uh, but I remember it. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna go check. I'm gonna seek it out now. Oh, definitely. Like it's got beautiful cinematography for what it was. Uh, might be showing its date a little bit here, but ultimately, it's the ultimate life after the apocalypse. The apocalypse happened. Now, what the hell do we do with our lives? And apparently, the other is fighting. We rebuild. We rebuild. Bigger, stronger, more powerful than before. And even though I'm not mentioning it, the set well, too much, the second movie has absolutely one of my most favorite villains of all time. Uh, long story short, you'll never be able to look at circuit cords in quite the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I, I remember picking up the actual manga back in the day. And I was always very disappointed with the mangas that I picked up in the late 80s, early 90s, because as beautifully drawn, as Appleseed was, as interesting as the post-apocalyptic aspects of the story were, um, I felt that whatever was going on with the translation, whoever was translating this, created something that was absolutely uh, impenetrable. I couldn't, I never, ever figured out the plot of what was going on from the manga. And I think it was just I had, whoever was publishing it when I first ran across it, was doing an absolute shit job of translating the Japanese, or had no context for the for the translation, so could not translate in a way that would be pertinent to an, to a gajin who's reading it uh, without understanding commentaries on Japanese politics or commentaries on Japanese history. I just could not get it. Um, how do the movies do? As far I mean, literally the plot was impenetrable. I could never tell from one frame to another who was on. Whose side? I mean, from one frame to another, somebody could getting could be shooting our hero or punching our hero, and I'd never know. I I would just have to be surprised uh, every time, and I don't know why they've punched them or shot them or shot at them. It just it never I could never track it. So my question for you, Mr. Constantine, is: Does the film distill it in a way that uh, a gajin can get into it? You I did. think so. Yeah. Well, for the most part. Uh... All you need to know is the basic plot. Girl meets boy. They have a war, their war happens. Girl meets boy again. Boy's a Borg. What's their affiliations? They still care for each other. Baggage. They try to create an apocalypse with what for the few remaining paradises on the planet. They save the day. What else is there to say? I, I can live with that. 
Well, once they started getting to all the factions in Olympus and all the guys working against each other and, you know, who could they trust, I could never. I, I, part of it I thought was, wow, this is a really interesting plot. They, they've, I, I'm, I'm second-guessing myself every step away. And then I started to wonder, maybe I'm just, it's a bad translation. You know what I mean? Like, the reason the, the, the conspiracy is so impenetrable is because somebody blew a pronoun somewhere and now I'll never, <laughs> I'll never figure it out. Well, I call that the wall of English. When they actually end up writing the law in order to do so, but it gets to the point where you basically go all of the points. I think oh, I wrote Scott. Wow! So we've had some uh, we've had some pedophilia and some charming racism here on podcast the Ground Zero. The Wall of English. That's that is sadly accurate. That is uh that that happens all kinds of times. We all remember we all remember the Master of Unlocking. In oh, good lord. Yeah. So, one of my oh, favorites. There's a one of the early subtitled versions of. Oh, credit it was like the legend of the of the Wind Warriors or something like that. It was this. Uh, well, a character says their line is translated to "I am a best weapon sword." <laughs> well, what he wants to say is he's an expert with a sword, but that's not what they wrote down. Oh dear. Uh, was it Nausicaa in the Valley of the Winds? No, no, it was it was live action. It was a it was a, a, a martial arts film. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Legend of the Overfiend or something like that. I don't know. No, not Urutsuko Doji. Oh. I, I, I guess uh, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Winds is actually post-apocalyptic too. Now that we're into it. But yes, it is. Let's keep moving forward. Yes, Mr. Well, Wallace. Last one. Thank you, Chris. My number one. I said uh, my number one and number two. Both had the word road in it, so I'm going to go with the road for my number one for post-apocalyptic films. Oh, my God. The film, it's just brutal. It's bleak. It is not, it is not a happy film at all. It is pretty dark. Because uh, I, I remember when it got released in the theaters, limited release, it was released around the holidays, like right around Thanksgiving, where holiday movies are coming out, and people want to be happy, and people want to, you know, goodwill and stuff. And it's like you were well, happy, you were yeah. happy. Doesn't that well, count? Doesn't your happiness count for anything? But I, but I'm a freaking weirdo, dude. So <laughs> it's like, um, um, the movie was like, I'm like, well, I guess it's a holiday movie. There's snow on the ground, um, but. Um, it's not snow. It's not snow. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, well, it's, it's cold at least. Um, it's a. It came out around. It came out. I saw it at Thanksgiving. because uh, it was again. It was a, a theater like 20 miles from me. 25 miles maybe. Uh, saw it then, and then it came to a theater closer to me. Uh, right around uh, Christmas, which I was surprised because because I, I I rushed to see it around Thanksgiving time because I knew it wasn't going to last long. Uh, I was like, "There's no way this movie's going to stay in the theaters." It opened. It got a second, like a wider release theater right around the corner from my from my house, and I went and saw it again. Uh, it was Christmas Eve. I was bored, had nothing to do. I'm like, "Hey, the road's going to go out of the theater. Let me go see that a second time." So, so for Christmas Eve, I saw The Road, and that be, that has become, for the most part, my Christmas Eve tradition is to watch The Road. Um, well, not lately, because I don't think I could get Nancy to watch that, uh, especially on Christmas Eve. But um, die hard, die hard. Um, 
But yeah, the road, it's just, um, you know, not a lot of dialogue. Um, it's McCormick McCarthy, as we know. You know, he writes in a particular style. Uh, the movie, says, you know, doesn't really show what the apocalypse is, uh, but it's years later. The world is dying. You know, there's not a lot of food. You know, people, you know, are, you know there's cannibalism. It's just bleak. And then, you know, when they find something, that's the elation they have because they don't have anything. It's just crazy. It's so... It's it's a it's a hard film to watch. I think for your average person, I think it's a hard film to watch. Uh, I really do. Um, I think even for people who are into the, in, into the genre, and we're you know you said that I still think it's. I mean, I wasn't like oh my god the film, but it's still it's it's just like wow. It's it's a rough film. I think it really is. Um, but the imagery, the the of the of the apocalypse was spot on. I think it was just. I think they did such a good job of it. The bleakness of it, and you know, in the movie where the truck comes out of the tunnel and they and they stop, uh, like there's a, there's a gang of guys on the truck. They stop because the truck breaks down, and they're by the woods where they're hiding out. That uh, tunnel was filmed. That part of the film was filmed at the uh, the uh, Pennsylvania abandoned the abandoned turnpike. Uh, the 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 the, the Abandoned Pennsylvania Turnpike is where it was filmed. It's a stretch. It's a stretch of a turnpike that was uh, closed off in the 50s because they did a route around it. I've actually hiked that uh, the 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 uh, that the um, the turnpike. So I've been to the t I've been to that tunnel where the truck came out where they filmed that part of the film. Just uh, as a this is a side note. Um, you should post the pictures. You've taken pictures. You should post the pictures somewhere. Yeah, post pictures uh, of that because it was it, that that because that whole road is stretches apocalypse. So, um, like I said, not a lot of dialogue. Um, I think the acting w was good, uh, very good. You know what? You know because uh, there wasn't a lot of you know, again there wasn't a lot of dialogue. There wasn't a lot of to do, but um, I, I just think it was I just think it was a very well done film. Uh, I think it really portrayed the apocalypse so well. Like years down the road, how everything has just gone south. And continues to go down. There's again, there's a no going. It seems like there's a no going back scenario. It's not that there's you know like in Children of Men <clears throat> where there's no more children being born. There are some children around, but um, and there is some glimmer of hope in the movie to towards the end. Um, you know, it's not completely bleak, but it, it, it's a classic film. Like like the one guy, man, wait, don't don't do me like this, man. Don't do me like this. You know? Oh, wait, hey, where suddenly our hero goes from being the victim to the victimizer. Yeah. Where he's 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 robbing the guy. That was one of the biggest things about that film that made it stand out to me is the is is Mortensen's position in the film as somebody with nothing. You think Max has nothing uh, in, you know, the Road Warrior movies. Uh, Vigo's character of the father is Named only, I think, in the film, the father. I don't think he has yeah. a lot of name. Um, he's got nothing except this giant responsibility to keep his kid alive. Yep. A kid who's known no other world than this. And uh, yeah, because he, he was born after it yeah. happened. Yeah. And um, it's um, it's just this crushing responsibility of what it's like to be a parent and how to you know protect your children and uh, keep them safe. And um, it's uh, uh, there's no <laughs> You know, yes, there's some struggle and there's fighting, and I, I remember him actually killing some guy who opens fire on them for no readily apparent reason whatsoever. You know, um, but 
uh, and he sure as hell doesn't do that cannibal any favor, favors no. down by the side of the road. He's hard. Viggo Mortensen is hard, but again, he's facing such an avalanche of awful. There's, it, it's like, how much, how hard can he be? How, how, how can he hold this all off by himself? You know, he's really in a very Precari he's precarious. I guess maybe that's the thing. Maybe he's hardened by this experience. Maybe he's a little bit badass, but he's precarious. He's always like one meal away from starving. Oh yeah, one well, meal away from kid, kid starving. Because there's not there's nothing. It's because it's years and years. Because the kid's got to be what uh, maybe eight or, or, or maybe like uh, you know. So it's many 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 years after. I don't I don't think he's broke a decade. I don't think the kid's broke a decade. But holy shit. Thank, and thank goodness the cannibalism only just showed up. Hooray? Well, Jared has always complained that, you know, these post-apocalyptic movies, it's like the lights are off for 20, 20 minutes and we're cooking our neighbors, you know? It's always the dumbest thing ever. We go straight to the cannibalism, um, you know, without any scavenging in between. It's like, well, guess we're eating our neighbors. Uh, at least it's like 10 years on. You know? Yeah, like they've run out of stuff. You know, like yeah. they, they come upon the farm and the people had hung themselves. And they're like, well, should we go check? He's like, he's like there's nothing because they yeah. hung themselves because they have nothing left. There is nothing left for them to eat. So they just decide to kill themselves, you know, because yeah. they were done, you know. And then there's that one horrific scene where he sees the woman running across the field and there's that gaggle of people just freaking just – like chasing after because like yeah look we got a meal here you know it's just just some of the just the concepts is so it's just so horrifying like wow what a what a world what a world you know it is you know yeah it, it's brutal it's it's a brutal film it is I think it's it is I think it, it is the brutal post apocalyptic film it's I like I said I, I I said I enjoy it I I watch it you know uh you know over and over again it, it, and it's a hard but I think it. If you want to see, you know, you know, because a lot of post-apocalyptic <laughs> films give, you know, okay, we're going to rebuild. There's going to be hope. We're going to try to do this. We're going to rebuild humanity. Power you know, fantasies. They're, they're power fantasies, right? Yeah. Yeah. But this one is it. It's like, listen, this is just, you know, it didn't work. No, nobody, nobody came along. Nobody organized. Nobody got their shit together. And this is what's going. This is what's happening to the world. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, apparently Mr. Constantine is just of a sunnier disposition than the rest of us because, by comparison, <laughs> at least there's some pocket of dystopic civilization left in your world, whereas ours are all circling the drain. Um, you know, you know what the road looks like? It looks like the American version of what's happening across the ocean in England after Threads. Yeah. Mm. You know. Yeah. So that's that's my number one. Um, we have run really, 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 really long. So really, really, really long. Yeah. So on, on this, I'm just going to do a couple of just a couple of quick honorable mentions, uh, and everybody just do a quick couple of honorable mentions. We're not really going to go into detail on them. Just, just to, some of the films, like some of the films I had on my honorable mentions. Like I said, I had Cyborg was definitely on my honorable mention list because that's uh, again a, a classic film. The Ultimate Warrior with Yul Brenner is on my uh, honorable mentions. Time of the Wolf. Stake Land, Damnation Alley, again, all great films that were on my list that I had to decide of where to put them. So those are some of my uh, choices 
for some honorable mentions. Will, what do you got for some honorable mentions? Uh, my my honorable mention is going to be the uh, camp post-apocalyptic movie uh, from the mid-'80s, She, uh, which there's a tremendous amount of world-building with no exposition. One of the things I love about this movie is clearly this version of the future makes sense to somebody, but that person's not in the film, and they're not going to tell you how to make sense of it. Uh, it's it's got these warrior women who have a rite of passage where they have to go into this cave of terrors, and it's an old haunted house. But the animatronics can still kill you. Uh, there's a guy who can clone himself, who may very well be a bio weapon that's gone insane that dresses like a, a United States cavalry officer but can only communicate by telling old vaudeville jokes. Uh, there's organ stealers who live in the swamps. There's mummy people whose limbs keep falling off that presumably they keep attaching other people's limbs to their bodies. Sold! It is sold! Yeah. Sold! Okay, Hopefully. stop! Sold! We, you, you, you're done! I, I'm going to Scarecrow and I'm running it tomorrow. Alright, yeah. that... I, you, I'm gonna go ahead and say you had me at a haunted house whose animatronics can kill you. <laughs> oh my I god! I shall post the link. Fucking hell, Will! Wow! <laughs> wow! Wow! I got a movie. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to track that down too. Uh, Scott, give me. A, you got any honorable mentions? Well, I, I don't have any nearly as craptacular as that, except of course. The still only available on YouTube and possibly VHS, World Gone Wild, which is a uh, astoundingly bad um, uh, post-nuke sort of road warrior raw out of water in the future ripoff, uh, with Bruce Dern and the villain as some sort of Obi Wan Kenobi-ish hippie guru, uh, 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 and. Um, his uh, his nemesis is played by Adam Ant of all things, the '80s pop star, um, who's only about four and a half feet tall, and it's pretty obvious in the film that he's only that tall. But it's it's a particularly it's 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 in the same ballpark as Six String Samurai. It makes no sense. Uh, it's completely loopy, but it's kind of awesome in its loopiness. If there was a real honorable mention, it would go to anything. Uh, it would go to the 78 Dawn of the Dead. That would be the one that um, almost made it on the list. The 78 Dawn of the Dead is is really uh, it's an awesome, but you get to see the apocalypse in motion, and then you get to see what it looks like afterwards. Excellent. Uh, Chris, any honorable mentions for you? Okay, I got a crap ton here, but I'll try to stick with the ones that haven't already been mentioned. Dread, of course, 2012. Mm -hmm. Mad Max Fury Road. I got a saw kick out of X Men Days of Future Past, even if it's only for like five minutes. Zombie Land. I've mentioned Turbo Kid in the past because where else can you have a post apocalyptic with bikes? BMX bikes. That's right. Darn right. And of course, I have to mention Doctor Strange Love, even though it's actually more of a pre apocalypse movie. Damnation Alley, I still get a kick out of just because of one certain vehicle. <laughs> and you know what it is if you've seen the movie. It's the only reason to go on the ride. The, the Landmaster. Oh, good lord, yes. Escape from New York technically is an apocalypse or maybe more of a dystopian. Uh, as far as actual animated shows, Nine, Fist of the North Star, Heavy Metal only didn't make the cut because there's only one scene involving a post-apocalyptic society. Wizards, of course, was mentioned. Uh, Vampire Hunter D., 
And the only reason this one wasn't mentioned that's up there with the road when it comes to being dark is because it's actually a series. Here and there, now and then. Don't know it. Uh, Don't know it at all. That didn't ring a bell at all. Okay. Take your typical happy shonen anime and do it like it would have happened if you put an eight-year-old kid in a post-apocalyptic environment. <laughs> We're talking Grave of the Fireflies, Barefoot Gen levels. Of no, not Grave of the Fire. Oh, <laughs> that I've seen. It's, oh, an, yes. it's, it's two hours of watching two animated <laughs> Japanese kids starve to death. I mean, that's all the movie is. Okay, it's... maybe it's not that dark. Maybe it's only a nine, <laughs> as opposed to a ten. Oh, I think I think Grave of the Fireflies is an eleven. I think they buried the fucking needle on yeah. that one. Oh yes. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Say the title again so everyone can hear it. Here and there, now and then, and it has easily the most evil villain I have ever seen in any series, and I've seen a lot of evil all villains. All right, all right, fair enough. Right, excellent. Thank you, Chris. Okay, folks, we are going to uh, shut things down. Again, we ran very long, but again, we had a lot to talk about, so we'll keep... We're there. Uh, if you're just tuning in now, it's like, well, you got about two, about two hours and 20 minutes of entertainment, uh, and again, it'll be on the... Uh, uh, it'll be on the YouTube channel. Well, we got four people. You have 20 movies to talk about. We got a lot of... There's a lot of shit to talk about. Um, it'll be on the YouTube channel... Uh, within the week, by the weekend, I should have the audio ripped, and I'll have it posted on there as well, so people could, you know, listen to it for. They probably got a couple weeks worth of drive on their commute drive listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, listen to that show. So I'll, I'll get the audio posted, so we could just uh, you could listen to us ramble on. So uh, that's it for this week, folks, for uh, podcast background zero. Uh, we're gonna keep on our schedule. Uh, two weeks. What we're going to do next, we're not sure yet, but you'll know when we know. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us tonight, uh, especially our uh, special guests and uh, our co-hosts, uh, you know, William T. Thrasher, Adam Scott Glancy, uh, Chris Constantine, and I am the Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace. Thank you and good night, and we will see you in the wastelands.